Well, um, hello and welcome to the uh, Narrative Wargamer. I uh, hope you guys are doing very well. Thank you very much for tuning into our first podcast. Uh, with me is Tony and I am Adam, uh, your hosts. How are you doing today, Tony? I am doing great. How are you doing? Good. I am doing great as well. Um, I was a little bit tired earlier, but then uh, I had some food. And uh, it turns out if you eat, you somehow get energy. So who knew? I know. It does help. Food can be a substitute for sleep when needed. <laughs> That's it. And if all else fails, there's always Monster or in the 40k, Nutrient Paste. Yeah. Well, in either case, I'm, I'm super glad to have you here with me today. Good. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for having me. No problem. Like... Um, Obviously, we are a brand new show, and yep. um, I thought now would be a good time to just brief the listeners in a little bit on what they're going to be getting into with us. Absolutely, yeah, because uh, obviously this is a verbal contract, so once you have started <laughs> to listen to the first one, there is no backing out. So nope. We will absolutely be there, let them know. and you will be listening. <laughs> you will be listening until the point where Abaddon takes the throne and casts the OAP man down himself. <laughs> so. Actually, saying that, I'm not even a, uh, I'm not even a chaos supporter. Although saying that, I am thinking about collecting a thousand suns army. So that just shows how inevitable yeah. chaos's victory is. <laughs> That's it. It's, you know, swings and roundabouts. What can I say? Or in Zeech's case, you know, all is change. So there we go. Uh, so yeah, so the narrative wargamer podcast. It is exactly intended mm. to be that. Like, it just does exactly what it says on the tin. Like, yeah, we'll... it's like Ron Sill. Yeah. <laughs> um, we know there is a lot of um, like competitive content out there and online, and and a lot of podcasts mm. and content creators end up sort of gravitating towards discussing competitive stuff, and that's not what we want this podcast to be about. Like, this podcast is very much going to be a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative play. It's a, a rather underrepresented part of the hobby, I think, or at least um, it is to me. And I really want to share, you know, with all you guys out there, the many ways there are to play 40k and the many ways there are to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think you're right. There is. Um, it seems to be well, uh, you know, as uh, as me and you've talked about, um, there does seem to be a, a sense of. Um, very much uh, kind of more towards the competitive play at the moment and uh, and I think one of the things that uh, really stood out for me and, and kind of both of you I think Tony as well was, was when we were looking through the Vigis Ablaze book or um, Vigis Defiant or even the Conquest or the Cities of Death stuff that you get in Chapter Approved 2018 uh, there really is a lot in there I think that you can draw out besides just going oh great I've got a really great detachment Oh, that's going to be really great when I take to an ITC tournament or whatever, you know? Yeah, and I think that's one of the key points. Like, when people typically think Vigilus, they think of the detachments, you know, they think, um, mm, yeah, you know, Dreadmob for Orcs or um, Indominus Crusader <laughs> Veterans for um, Space Marines, whatever, you know, like. Oh, my days, that thing is amazing. <laughs> they are. That is, that is ridiculously good. But. What oh. is equally ridiculously good and amazing in there are things like the battle zone rules. Like there's rules for fighting mm. on the inside oh, yeah. of starships, fighting in ice tundras and all sorts. Yeah, the ice tundra one. I mean, we talked about it briefly, I think, last time, but um, we had a chat. But that one is that one looks seriously cool. Um, <laughs> in more ways I think it's that. 
in the game all the way since the one it's pretty cool and frosty um but i just love the idea of yeah just you rolling and, and a dice and obviously on a six it's like oh you've been struck by some some beast you know from the from the blizzard and uh you've taken a mortal wound and now mm-hmm. it's gonna Which keep obviously wounds. yeah and also now it's got sent for blood so uh you're gonna constantly get attacked and potentially lose another mortal wound every turn yeah it's uh it adds a very different dynamic i think to to the way that you play a game you and, know? and i think it, with all the environmental rules yeah and those dynamics it's very understandable why they don't appear in competitive match play because <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. it made the games you know insanely long and if you've only got three hours to play a game and it's like all right cool so you've had your turn i've had my turn okay now we'll give the gene stealers their turn <laughs> yeah. and then uh then we'll do the flora and um yeah cool so you lost three from those guys and uh and i got two more wounds from uh from basically breathing in poisonous air so let's get on now yeah it would just it would take too long I think. yeah well while it might be a bit of bloat and a bit of um larger variance and inaccuracy in those rather balanced mission types that you get in competitive Mm. play there's no reason why these things can't be used in friendly play yeah no absolutely yeah adding so much variation to it if you and i think obviously you just need to be aware that that's that's going to be a part of having a fun game you know is is, Mm. and if you if you just want a fun game isn't it if you go you know what i'm just gonna play down either your local war you know gw store or it's called warhammer now actually isn't it it's no yeah. longer games workshop it's the warhammer i noticed store. that i was like every, every store calls it gw so i'm like oh we're going i'm just in the gw store and then <laughs> i tried to look for it online and i was like oh it's not come up with anything why is it not come up with games workshop leads and then it was like it's did warhammer you mean warhammer leads, leads? Yeah. i was like oh okay <laughs> um perhaps it's got some negative connotations somewhere who knows so yeah now while <laughs> yeah, I, sorry, I, you yeah, were talking about. I, I do think stuff. that <laughs> those like extra elements that could be added to the game, they still work perfectly well with matched play gameplay. And I do think there's a mm. bit of a, a blurred line sometimes when people hear matched play, they think competitive play. And yeah, I find actually like I'm very much a match play player, but I'm in no way a competitive player. Right. So what i sort of find that boils down to is i i I prefer playing with like points values over power level uh yeah points yeah i prefer points the power level thing i'm not actually even sure any i'm not even sure any tournaments do it except for potential actually gw's own one when they go to warhammer world if you go to that i think they may i think they make you use it or you use it at some point um but yeah because the points thing it just makes more sense it's you know it's a bit more balanced i think as well because actually i think if you look at it so if you take a death watch army i read this somewhere but because of their power rating is so low in terms of the models it's obviously like a a unit of like you know five man kill team or something in terms of power level it's quite low but that doesn't include all of the war gear which is insane yeah. so actually if you do a power level game you come up with loads more than you actually should if you're doing a points game and obviously it doesn't count into war gear so you can take all of the best war gear you want and it's just not even a factor whereas obviously obviously match play you've got to you've got to make that happen and then across that you've also got all these types of missions um that you can play now the majority of people are mm. commonly aware of is um, eternal war missions and maelstrom missions 
Yeah. But there are also other categories. There are like the Crucible of War missions and the Echoes of War missions. So there's all mm. ranges of these missions. And I sort of consider all of them can be played in what you would typically refer to as narrative play. Because if you're playing a game where the outcome ultimately end of the day isn't high stakes it's not important it doesn't really matter who wins your game of 40k so long as you both had fun then that's the perfect kind of game to introduce these more narrative elements do you know what i mean yeah i think it's it's again though i think because like we talked about there is this there's a kind of a, a subconscious undercurrent i think in most of the community to to lean towards uh, competitive stuff in general so i think the issue is is that people when you go oh let's just have a friendly game yeah i think you have to really be specific or certainly i have where you go this is a friendly game you know so let's restrict ourselves to like say one elite choice one fast attack you know and maybe like a lord of war if you want to make it a bit more slightly challenging but nothing hardcore <laughs> you know what i mean because the end of the day like you said you're there to have fun you're not there to I think sometimes one of the key things is taking units because you enjoy them or you think they're cool or yeah. and not just because they're the most optimized option. Like, Yeah, absolutely. You know, for example, if someone's looking at taking, you know, their minimum five-man squads of scouts, you know, to fill out their battalions because they're good for zoning yeah. and... And um, like just points cost, and yeah. points cost, and generating command points, and all the rest of it. There's no reason why, in just one of these more narrative friendly games, you couldn't take your three squads of 10 tactical marines instead, you know, and actually look like you've got a battle yeah, line sure. of 30 marines. Now, <laughs> yeah, gun line it up, man. Yeah, completely. like they're still going to be on the grand scale of things. Not hugely different in gameplay, but yeah, yeah, they sure. are distinctly not the most optimized choice because the scouts are an optimal choice. But that might not be what you want to play with. You might want to use your space marines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Because if you want to go have a fluffy game, so uh, there's me and a, a guy called Alex from the from the club that we both go to. Um, and we've been playing through uh, a little kind of campaign where the Cities of Death um, missions. I really want to play uh, Cities But of kind Death. of using... You are sorry? I really want to play Cities of Death at some point. Oh, it's, it's good fun, especially... Uh, the Infestation one's all right. It can get a little bit annoying depending on which... Um, which one you your which scenario and which mission you're playing. Um, but the one that's absolutely amazing and it really forces you to think kind of outside of the box and where you put things is the uh is this is the inferno one so it's the one where um basically you can light light buildings on fire <laughs> which is amazing so if you've ever seen a gene stealer crew basically chuck a molotov cocktail into a building that is one of the greatest things you'll ever see in 40k um but the uh the, the whole situation is great because you're basically in a city which is starting to get on fire from you know, kind of shells raining down on it and incendiaries just going off all over the place or in like another part of the city and it's starting to engulf the rest of it. Um, while you're having this battle, so for every, at the beginning of every single round, you roll and on a six, a building gets set alight. Um, and then as soon as it gets set alight, you just automatically put it up by one 
on a dice every single every single battle round. Hmm. So if you've got troops inside for it, if the building's on fire and it's on a one, you uh, you then have to roll for each unit uh, inside. And so, for example, on a seven, so it's on a seven plus, you uh, you take a mortal wound. Um, now. You know, so if it's, if it's like a a one on the scale of one to six, it's obviously not too bad because all you need to do is just not not roll above a six, basically, which you know is pretty pretty hard, impossible to do. But as soon as you start leaving guys in there, so like by turn three, that's up to four. So basically, you you add two to everything that you roll. So all of a sudden, it gets really really dicey, pardon the pun, um, <laughs> when you're actually trying to trying to save your guys because you oh well, there's a tactical reason why I've put, so for example, Devastator Squad in this building. But this building is now on fire, and if I leave them in there long enough, they're all just going to die. So it's really interesting because you go well, there's a tactical element to that which is uh, really cool, but also thematically, like it's really cool this idea of like buildings just being on fire and obviously you can spend cp as part of the stratagems within that battle zone uh kind of you know criteria to um to actually set buildings on fire so instead of shooting that turn you uh basically lob a molotov cocktail and set a building on fire so uh the first match we had we did that and then i um uh, what did i i i, uh, I advanced oh no i i went forward with a uh Assault Marine Squad, which I love. I mean, uh, we'll come on to what we play, but uh, as part of a Blood Angels, it's you know quintessentially jump packy. It's it's the number one thing to do in a fluff situation because again, nobody really takes them. Um, but we'll talk about that later. But um, you know, so I was like, well, they've only got bolt pistols. Actually, what's going to be better? Actually, I'll just spend one CP and set this building on fire. <laughs> so they just like set this building on fire, and I was like. This is awesome. Like it's a really cool idea of just going around and setting all these places on fire. Which makes me sound like an arsonist, but um, you know, it's in the game, so it's totally fine. It is totally fine. Because it is cool. Like that is the reason mm. more than anything. And stuff like that, that's the kind of aspect to the hobby that I think gets overlooked a lot or certainly isn't talked about a lot. I'm sure there are people out yeah, there yeah. that play Cities of Death. I'm sure there are a far larger portion of people that have never heard anyone else really talk about it and discuss it. And if they did, they might be interested and give it a try. And I really hope that that's the kind of thing that the Narrative Wargamer podcast can bring to the masses. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, that, like I said, that campaign is. Uh, the campaign for Cyprus Monday is still going, um, and the Blood Owners are just winning actually. So we've still got two two more missions to go, and I'm in the lead by one. Um, but again, it's you know all all four matches we had have been tremendously close uh, because we've not brought anything that's just going to be you know we haven't I haven't brought a Leviathan with <laughs> two Storm Cannon arrays, which is just going to delete stuff every single turn and you know get me a sanction from the united nations for war crimes it's you know it's 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 like oh well i've no, got because they're perfectly fine so long as all you're doing is setting <laughs> fire to the city that that is fine. exactly exactly hey you know things happen things get out of control um can't can't blame the blood angels for everything all right man that's just unfair um it's the death guards problem they were there to begin <laughs> with so if there's gonna blame anybody blame chaos so, uh, but you know, both all all four of those matches have just been great, and you know we've had a lot of fun. And and again, it's it comes back to that having fun. And you know, both me and Alex, we we're both on the same page when we come to what we want out of a fluffy game. And you know, we want some just 
stupid stuff, you know, some great roles, but also just some some real kind of. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've got this command point or you've got you know this victory point. It's just you know at the end of the day, who wins and who loses comes down to have you achieved this objective, yes or no. Mm. Um, but you're having fun along the way, and um, and absolutely, I think if more people played it, it could get some really interesting games going. I think one of the key things that I want to bring to narrative games really is cinematic moments that's the thing oh yeah it doesn't have to be like hugely like historically reenacting of events in the fluff it doesn't have to be large apocalyptic things you know to feel narrative it it just needs to be stuff like oh um your demon prince is actually at some point fighting with that gray knight grandmaster you know yeah oh completely yeah instead of that demon prince hiding behind his can't shoot me wall of nine nerglings while a grandmaster yeah. is busy smiting um, flyers out of the sky. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, completely. Yeah, absolutely. I understand there's that difference between what is the optimal use of a unit in a competitive environment versus what you would do just because it's cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, a classic one. Uh, is you know uh, if you take a thousand suns, you know you take uh, Magnus, but you make Araman your warlord, because you know cost-effective wise, it's better to have him as your warlord because you know that you're going to get Magnus stuck in there into combat. Mm. So if you get him close, he's going to die, and therefore it's actually not worth you uh, making him your warlord because in a competitive match or in you know kind of normal match play. Uh, that's going to be slay the warlord. So, you know, you make Araman because then you can protect him and he does all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, if you're doing it in a fluff game, there's no way that you're not going to make uh, Magnus, who is the Primarch of the Bloody Legion, uh, your warlord. Yeah, because, warlord. of course, he would, course be, he would be. You know? Absolutely. So I love that, you know. And, um, and of course, that's that kind of thing where in the Cypriot's Monday campaign, we've uh, we've created two characters. Um, so it's, it's my Blood Angels led by Captain Atreon, um, you know, who is who's the kind of classic smash captain, but um, slightly toned down. So yeah. there's, there's only so much you can do to make that guy not a war crime in, in and of himself. So, you know, it's certain. I mean, you still give him a thunder because that's super, super Blood Angel. In angelsy, but just actually having a uh, you know, so it's like you don't take certain relics or you don't take certain stratagems, which maybe potentially give him extra damage every time one goes through and stuff like that. Um, you know, because we want to we want to have times where it is just warlord versus warlord. So we've uh, we've actually had it three times in the campaign now, where uh, Thrax, who's the uh, Lord of Contagion for uh, Alex's Death Guard. Uh, and Captain Atreon have faced off on the battlefield, so we've gone. Oh, there's actually an opportunity here where I've like left my warlord out, kind of you know out, not out in the, on his own, but just kind of oh, if you maneuver a certain number of things, you're going to be able to get into range to charge him and blast the hell out of him. Um, but then he's gone. Actually, no. Do you want to have a game where you know these two are going to get get hit basically and, and smash each other's bits? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do that. So uh, we've basically gone. Cool. We're not going to attack him. We're going to leave him alone. And then basically, like, I've jumped over. So there was one, I think it was the second match we ever had. The, this was the one with the uh, cities, uh, cities, of, uh, cities of Death where the buildings are on fire. So Thrax, Thrax um, was in the building, which was on fire, 
but he kept because he's got his disgusting resilient he just kept making loads of saves because you know he's disgustingly resilient <laughs> anybody who's played death guard will understand that and um he just kept using actually instead of shooting uh you can use a stratagem basically to uh, reduce the flames it's called firefighters so you can basically reduce the flames by one so it was always on one but it kept going up to two on the scale so he just kept putting it down to one which means he can never fail but it was this amazing thematic moment where it's like my warlord just like looks across the battlefield and sees this like death guard just horrific horrific space marine just covered in flames and putrescence and you know just horrible bile and everything just standing there wait like taunting him basically just to come and kill him in the flames yeah like stood challenge. in the flames oh it was amazing and then uh i just you know because i've got a jetpack naturally being a blood angel i um yeah just uh went over there and um thought i'd absolutely kill him and uh and got killed in return so, <laughs> it was, so you went flying into the inferno fun. and it did not go well for you oh yeah well i um yeah i i, I did not yeah. do not do well on my rolls so i got a lot of twos which i couldn't re-roll so it was like oh dear and then he got some really good saves on his invulnerables and um and i think i only got i think i only got one through and he has like five wounds or something and then he uh so i only got one one wound to actually go through and then he saved two on his disgusting resilience saves so he only took one damage after all that <laughs> so it was um it was painful and then he just hit me back and then because he's got this uh, ablative plate or something it's like basically on a 4 plus you take a, you take a mortal wound um, and so basically you start killing me off really quickly and then obviously because I was in the flames I couldn't do that and uh, the flames went even further and uh, basically we both well I, I got consumed in the flames so it was uh, it was quite a thematic end to that particular one um, so yeah it's really great and we're actually planning um, two more so we've got one more which will be kind of i think it might be the last uh the last the last mission in the cities of death mission saga if you follow them from the beginning and um and that's basically where we've had uh the blood angels have been able to win two uh to the uh, death guards one so the results from the first one was that i lost and my um so it was like an all-out assault and I basically lost from that. So then I had to retreat back to uh, like a kind of a, a fortification strong point that I'd made here to kind of have as a launching pad. And the Death Guard followed me. And then the idea was that they were going to try and wipe that out. And if they'd have wiped that out, then I would have lost and had to leave the sector. Um, but then there were reinforcements on the way. So I rolled really well on my reinforcements and got them in. But it was like if they take the central... Uh, vi- it's like central command point, victory point. Um, that's it. Like I would just never be able to get rid of them. So this like insanely heroic move <laughs> I did uh, I did with uh, Atriani basically <laughs> pole vaulted over um, like three squads of uh, plague marines and uh, basically landed himself in between m- the rest of his army and. Uh, and my guys so it's like a protective force so he basically held on for two turns got wiped out but he held on for the two turns which then gave him the rest of my army time to to actually move into the place and secure it after killing the uh so he, he did exactly what the space marine captain should do he, absolutely he led team, by example he led by example and he held off the foe long enough <laughs> for his men to secure that's the ultimate victory absolutely atrion takes too many for the team mate it's, <laughs> it's just you know he's that's what he does 
But as uh, yeah, so that was amazing because uh, it literally came down to like I think it was turn five, and then it it wasn't uh, random game length, so it was like this is it. If I don't hold this point, like that's it. You know, we're yeah. done. So um, oh, it was amazing, absolutely amazing game. Um, so that was brilliant. And then uh, as a result of that one being one for me, we then counterattacked again, and um, what happened was that. Uh, Thrax had basically lost most of his death guard um, in that attack and as a result uh, was now having to uh, basically do this one called Thunder Run where you basically select three units um, that have to get from one side of the board to the other um, and if any of them make it off then you get a major victory um, and then the opposite side has to try and basically defend it but you create an alleyway that only they can kind of go down and there's uh, a basically it's not, it's not an ambush type situation but it's kind of a little bit like that um and so basically he just like walked up the board and tried to and you know just took an enormous amount of punishment actually um and then i uh was able to stop him luckily but it was he literally came down to i think it was atrion thrax and i think two other of his characters left and i had atrion a primaris ancient two hellblasters and three intercessors left so it was it was a brutal game it was a really brutal game. As it should. Um, as, as it, it should, should be, be, yeah, realistically. Yeah. yeah, so we it was really good. It was really good because yeah. we've um I basically stopped him. But then this this uh, second to last one's gonna be where um you know he's found a way to get some more reinforcements and then if it doesn't you know, so then whoever wins will get an advantage in the final one, which is basically we're gonna do an apocalypse battle. So we're just gonna get every single unit that we have in both of our Blood Angels force and our Death Guard forces and just have a massive battle. Uh, and we're going to do the uh, it's the one from Vigilus Ablaze where it's uh, Kalgar fights uh, Abaddon. Oh yes, the Clash of Legends or whatever. Clash of Legends, so, what it is, like but that. you yeah, know, it's, it's a brilliant scenario. Yeah. There's some really yeah. clever mechanics in there to represent a proper duel. Mm. Well, that's why when I read it, I thought, oh, this would be an amazing kind of final clash where, um, you know, so we're basically going to say like both of our warlords. You know, nobody can touch them, but they're both going to be in the middle, in that road. So in within this, I think it's within uh, six inches of the centre. Yeah, if your bubble. warlord's in it, they're in a bubble where they can't be here, and they also get twenty-eight wounds each. So it's going to be like a massive slugging match to see who can kill each other first. Oh, it's just going to be brilliant. Going to be absolutely brilliant. What I'm hoping that one's going to be is um, where I I I get. I wound Thrax pretty much to the end, but then he kills me. But then I've got enough CP left fight, so that yeah. I can do only yeah. in death does duty end. So then I can fight one last time and wipe him off the face of the earth. So then we both go down in like a massive blaze of glory. That would just be an epic end. That would be an epic end to the campaign. It would. It'd just be fantastic. And then the rest of the forces just kind of go, oh, these two are dead now. Do you want to <laughs> just go home? Yeah, all right. Okay. Um, so that should be really epic, actually. I'm hoping that we can potentially actually borrow a couple of knights each, um, so we can have some knights as well as our usual stuff, and just have like a big, big battle. I mean, it'll take it'll, it'll take all day, but it'll just be so worth it. <laughs> it'll it just will. be amazing. I mean, you got to do something big for the end of a campaign. You just do. Oh yeah, completely. You know, but it's uh, and again, you know, it's this thing that we've been doing uh, over most of this year. Actually, it's just been great. You know, it's just really good fun. Because again, you know, it's not it's not hyper competitive. You know that you've just got to do a mission, but it's about kind of 
Well, partly, especially for me, it's kind of partly spending time with uh, a person who I enjoy hanging out with, but also rolling some dice and, and having some fun, you know. That's, and, it, that's uh, exactly what at the end of the day, I enjoy as well about it. Yeah, because, you know, we spend so much money on all this stuff, you've got to enjoy what you're doing, right? <laughs> so, exactly. And yeah. that, in a <laughs> in a somewhat large nutshell, is uh, <laughs> the, the concept yeah. of what we what to talk about on the show, you know, all these... <laughs> Sorry, I went on a right rant there, didn't I? Sorry. But that's brilliant. You got me excited, Tony. You yeah. got me excited, okay? We are excited, because 40k is exciting. And it the is. way we play it is exciting, and we want other people. It might be to grim and dark, that. but it sure is exciting at the same time. It is, and hearing about like the kind of narrative, uh, hearing about like the campaign games that we're going to be playing, discussing mm. the ways that we're approaching more narrative missions, the maybe like the way approach to list builds, or even like how you create your battlefield and all the rest of it. These are all the sort of topics the show is going to cover in the coming weeks um and you know every episode will probably have a particular spotlight on some aspect of it that we'll talk about and we'll yeah. also no doubt talk about games we've played and the latest developments in the campaigns we're in and if that sounds like the kind of content you'd be interested in listening to then this is definitely the podcast for you and i i really hope and feel that we're sort of filling a bit of a niche at the moment and that this is an underrepresented aspect of the hobby. And I really, really hope that people are going to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and with that, should we uh, should we do a little bit of intro about ourselves? And, yes. Uh, so, and talk we about will, ourselves. so well, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back yeah. with um, some little introductions with the hosts so you can get to know absolutely. us a little bit better. So we'll be right back, guys. And we're back. Hey! Um, so you heard uh, a little bit from Adam there about uh, what he's been up to in his Cities of Death fights with his Blood Angels. So um, how about um, let's learn a little bit more about you yourself, Adam. So sure. how long have you been playing 40k then? I've been playing 40k uh, for just over two years, actually, since 8th came out. Um, but I used to play when I was a kid, uh, so kind of I think around kind of nine to, well, kind of eight, eight or nine to maybe around eleven, and then uh, just just kind of stopped really. It was one of those things where things were kind of getting into a different place in terms of life, and you know, as it is when you grow up and you go different places and. Uh, yeah, I, I just different hobbies and interests basically took over time. Um, but I stopped playing around. I think it was about fifth edition. Um, well, it might have been a bit sooner actually because the Tau, um, the Tau had just come into the game actually, so that was a big thing. Because I was looking at them because my original first time I think was Blood Angels, and mainly because I just went, I really like red. <laughs> so it was like, there we go, that'll do. The Space Marine in uh, red, go. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, but then you uh, obviously, you know, you look into the fluff and you go, oh my gosh, you've got people like Mephiston and you've got people like Astroth the Grim. These guys are psychotic. This is insane. This is great. <laughs> and, um, you know, then you look into it more as an adult and you go, oh, they're all vampires. Oh, okay. See, um, but, like you know, me, who doesn't I, love sucking a bit of blood? But, like, 
personally, I'm a big fan of the Flesh Terrors. I, I do enjoy. Oh, so good. Yeah. Oh man, and you uh, you know you've got problems when your own chapter try and murder you. So. <laughs> yes. You and know, they're, they're you know, they're so very much, angry. They're not so much the vampires as more the killers are trying to keep their killing instinct in check and failing. Oh, so good, so <laughs> good. Yeah. So for anybody who hasn't um, kind of up on the Blood Angels and what they do, so the Blood Angels were one of the original legions, uh, the ninth legion, I do believe. Um, if there are any Blood Angels uh, fans out there, and I've got that wrong. I do apologise, um, but uh, well, I'm actually first of all, I'm an original. If you're looking from a law point of view, I am a really big Imperial Fist fan. So when I got back into the hobby, um, so yeah, just finish that off. So used to be in the hobby, uh, used to collect Blood Angels a little bit, then went away. Uh, haven't really picked it up for ages, and then a friend of mine uh, basically just was like, "Oh yeah, I'm into 40k." And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember you used to play in 40k. Oh, yeah, um, I haven't really thought about it in ages. Oh, interesting. So we kind of talked a little bit about kind of old school stuff and where it is now and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I was like, oh, actually, maybe it'd be quite cool to, to kind of get back into it. And, um, yeah, that's basically how it started because he, um, he bought me a <laughs> squad of tactical marines. And I went, oh, okay, there's something weird happening here. feel like a really great buzz when I look at this plastic. <laughs> Ooh, oh man, what's that? Oh, is that? Oh man, that feels really good. I'm gonna go <laughs> buy some more, and, uh, and then obviously you know you buy a codex and you start looking at different options, and and then you spend about you know a bazillion pounds before you realise that you don't really like the army, and then you get another army, and then you go, oh yeah, okay, and then you find a different army, and you know before you know it, you've got sixteen armies and no money. Um, but at the moment, I only have two, which is great. So. <laughs> Which yeah, I've been playing the hobby. F- um, so, well, the um, I'll come on to that in a minute. But yeah, the uh, I've been basically been playing for for two years, and um, absolutely loving it. Absolutely loving Eighth uh, Edition. I think it's really streamlined from the horror stories that I heard about Seventh Edition and previous. <laughs> this yeah. is definitely the best issue of the game. Um, all I'm going to say is Dark Angels free Razorbacks, and everyone will understand what that means. And uh, yeah, just um, just really, really enjoying it. Uh, really enjoying uh, the lore and the fluff, actually, as well. That's something that that drew me uh, first more than the actual tabletop. So um, my friend went, "Oh yeah, I've listened to this thing called the Horus Heresy," and uh, um, <laughs> and obviously, kind of before they started, yeah, um, before they started uh, fleshing it out with all of the books and the Primarchs and all that kind of stuff, it was um, it was just kind of like, well. You know, we need to set up the 40k background. What do we do? Oh, well, we'll have this massive civil war that happened 10,000 years before it begins. Oh, cool, great. We'll, you know, we'll kind of just have that in the background, oh, and that I explains away a lot of stuff. The original reason for the Horus Heresy was um, back in the original Titanicus release in like the what, late 80s, early 90s, whatever it was. Um, yeah, they wanted to introduce obviously a way of having two factions to fight. But they didn't have the expense to duplicate. Uh, they didn't have the expense to create two different kits, like two different sprues. <laughs> so they just, oh, of course. So they just duplicated yeah. the one sprue <laughs> they had, and in the background, wrote it off as a civil war. Right. Okay. So that's the reason why we have why chaos space marines and, why and space marines. There was a civil war, but like I say, back then it was just a bit oh, of a throwaway. Oh yeah, there was a civil war at some point. You know, the emperor's son mm. turned on him. Blah blah blah. But then it has, <laughs> yeah, it has yeah, grown no <laughs> into you know one of these greatest like Greek tragedies epic dramas. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's insane. Um, so basically, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I love the fluff and I love the kind of um, 
world building side of it and i'm a writer myself so kind of i was quite drawn to that kind of side of things and and the creation side of it in terms of you know all these different races and you know you've got things like the necrons as these ancient evil people which is just amazing in itself and and just you could create a whole universe just around them and then you've got you know like uh the tau which are this this kind of fish people um <laughs> uh, you know are essentially sushi is what usually ends up with me uh and my death company when they get close enough but they are you know kind of this new race that are really optimistic and you know but it's like well we've got loads and loads of guns so you can join us or we'll wipe you off the planet so it's up to you, up to you. but we're here for you, here to help you you know that kind of thing i always it's love great, it when they first exciting. encounter races like tyranids and necrons and ones which they just can't be reasoned with you know like they try oh, yeah. getting them yeah. to join the greater good and then after a little while they give up oh can you imagine that though if they got the orcs on their side that's the that's the melee and the close combat problem solved isn't it i think the first time oh, the town gosh. encountered the orcs they the orcs like agreed to join up because they were going to be paid in guns like oh, if, it, oh, if they join, yeah. we get all these cool guns. Cool, let's do that. Because it's they it's um, Farsight, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't think it was Farsight. I think it'll have been Pure Tide at the time. But um, oh yeah, probably Pure Tide at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like the the orcs were like, yeah, sure, we'll take all those shiny new guns <laughs> and join up. Yeah. And then immediately yeah. turned those shiny new guns on the tower. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> can't trust fungus, mate. What can we say? You can't <laughs> trust fungus. And. Um, yeah, you know, and then you've obviously got the Orcs, which is the kind of classic one, and then the whole wars with Armageddon and all that kind of stuff. And um, and yeah, so I started reading the books a little bit and uh, just started with um, the Horus Heresy, uh, Horus Rising, which I think is the first one. And um, just the first three are amazing. They're still really up there for me in terms of... They are great. Just some of the best in the series. I think it sets things up really well. Garviel Loken is one of my favourite characters from the 30k series. Um... Uh, it's just fantastic, and and I think it, it just brought me all back into kind of playing. I thought, oh, I'd actually really like to play this again. This seems really cool. Um, and so I had a couple of games and just just obviously bought some stuff and start playing. And then um, my first ever game in Eighth Edition was against a Slaneshi Horde army. So <laughs> that ended very very badly. Um, my Space Marines died. There's no other way to describe it. They died yeah, badly. Not it. It's not going to go well if you're trying to charge the Slash Demons. Oh, no, this is this is so, this is, um, going back, so yeah, as I, I looked into it more, um, you know, my original one was the Imperial Fists, because uh, I'm a huge fan uh, of Dawn, okay, and yeah. um, in terms of, like, thinking and, and the way it's like, I used to play quite defensively, so it kind of makes sense with their whole kind of fortifying every position ever, ev- everywhere, and, um, you know, I really like the yellow. <laughs> So See, um, I do, yeah, I do time. like that the um, the Imperial Fists are actually a bit more fleshed out when it comes to like their successes and stuff. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, so cool. Like, oh, as a a first founding chapter, but one which is also a Codex compliant chapter, and therefore doesn't have its yeah. own book. They're yeah. actually quite varied because when you've got the Imperial Fists, the Crimson Fists, and the Black Templars you know that all yeah, sort of distinctly absolutely. have their own character and flavor like yeah oh, i do actually yeah. quite like the sons of dawn they've got quite they're really cool they are yeah crimson fist are another one which i really love and i've just actually got um it came a couple of weeks ago is the battle for rin's world which is such a cool bit in the fluff 
Oh, man, the lore about that, which is, um, for anybody who doesn't know, it's where the Crimson Fist homeworld is called Rin's World. And uh, they kind of settle there after about like two, three millennia of, of crusading and, and basically being a fortress monastery on the on the go. And um, and then in the, you know, skip <laughs> several thousand years to uh, to the 41st millennium and then they uh, basically get attacked by orcs and this huge, huge war basically that enters the system. And they have this um, kind of like planetary defense systems basically which are all these missiles which uh, they send up to destroy uh, the rocks which are the, like the spacefaring vessels of the, the orcs. Um, and um, but then so they destroy loads of them except uh two of the missiles revert back to source which is the fortress <laughs> monastery of the uh the crimson fists and it all goes horribly yeah, wrong because it, it kills like 900 of the of the of the chapter or it something or 800 of the out, pretty much wise the chapter out and they, they lose pretty much all of their relics they lose all of their venerable stuff oh it's so bad so then basically you have Pedro Cantor, who's such a badass by himself, um, basically just defending Rinsworld with like 200 or uh, 200 uh, space suits against a very, very large orc horde. Um, and it's really cool, so I'm really looking forward to reading that. And, you know, obviously all the stuff with the Black Templars and what happened to those guys, and Sigismund, of course, being the first High Marshal. Really cool fluff behind him, and he's another great character in the 30k stuff. Um, so yeah, th- they were really appealing for a number of reasons to begin with, and um, yeah, I just really liked them. I don't know what it was about them that that you know, kind of that defensive mentality and just mm. kind of defense in depth, and we're going to give loads of firepower and all that kind of stuff, and that was great. Um, and so I wanted to originally have an army that was very very shooty, but like a lot of firepower, uh, but just purely purely space marines. And then you realise you can't really do that because Primaris stuff especially doesn't really have any heavy firepower at the moment I mean, and with 8th edition being a very shooty uh, based edition it's um, it's quite tough basically out there for a space marine army as uh, anybody who's got one will testify so yeah um, and then I was like well I'm getting a bit bored with them because obviously like I said they're just a bit kind of plain and the, the cover bandage doesn't do a huge amount and then, um, then I was like oh, okay well, I maybe want to get another army as well so then I I went on to getting the uh, the Necrons as a as a secondary force, and I was like, oh my gosh, these guys! The lore behind those guys is so cool, and just these like undying wraith constructs, and you know, three up invulnerable save anybody, mm-hmm. and you know, just insane units that are just really cool. And then the fact that you've basically captured a star god and then made him into a shard so you could use him on the battlefield, just I do insane think stuff. They had a really good like revitalizing of their line um, when they sort of mm. really delve deeper into all their um, narrative and lore and the dynasties um, I think it was back yeah. in the 5th edition maybe, maybe when they got that update but that really brought some like flesh to the, the, the story and the background of the Necrons well, yeah, to begin with, wasn't it? They were just basically like autonomous that just go around killing everything, yeah. and there wasn't really anything to them. Whereas now, yeah, kind of having things like Imotech the Stormlord, who's a fantastic character, actually, just within the fluff. Um, and actually, talking about the Blood Templars, he has a really big fight with uh, Marshal Helbrecht, who's <laughs> the leader of the um, <laughs> leader of the uh, the Blood Templars, and um, yeah, they have uh, they have quite a few scuffles, which is really interesting, actually. Um, and and in kind of classic 40k, they come together, bad stuff happens. And and then they go their separate ways because you know reasons, reasons. or oh a uh, 
a large amount of this mountain has decided to fall down and we have to leave otherwise we're all going to be buried underneath it oh okay you know that kind of thing so um yeah just fantastic and uh yeah so they they were my next one i guess they're your second army then well they were my second army um because essentially uh i i like them but they're just as we've talked about before they're a little bit too slow for me uh they're just i don't know i like them but again they they kind of feel like they're stuck in another edition um i think they're gonna come back in a big way though at some point i hope they do i really hope they do I, i mean i don't know if i will continue to collect them uh, because the idea is I only really want to have three armies and so the two armies that I'm concentrating on um, so yeah basically to wrap that up I <laughs> I got my uh, I got my ass handed to me rather roundly in uh, in one match with the uh, by the Necrons and it was like yeah they're just they're not in a not in a place <laughs> that I want them to be at um, and I think you know certain armies do do well kind of all round in every single phase of the game, uh, whereas Necrons kind of they're good in shooting and a bit of combat, but you have to get really close in order to make them work because they've only got 24-inch guns, and that's kind of you know unless you take like three Tesseract vaults and <laughs> want to have no friends. So um, it, it was just one of those where I thought, yeah, okay, we'll we'll put these down and we'll think about someone else, and um, and that's when I started looking into the Eldar. So my uh, uh, of course. Yes, <laughs> and uh, but specifically the Harlequins. So the Harlequins are my kind of uh, second army, uh, or what I would say. So, um, kind of coming onto it. So I've of my Harlequins um, because basically I was looking at their fluff and looking at who they are, and it was like, wow, these guys are amazing. Like just this idea of these clowns that serve this god who is called the laughing god and and it's all really cool because he's actually like a real real god that survived the fall uh and the rise of chaos and the birth of slanesh and he hides in the webway and he does all this stuff and everything's a joke but everything's really serious because actually you know his thing is about teaching arrogant people lessons but he does it in really murderous horrible funny ways and it was just like everything's a joke to him and it's really great because you don't actually know who they're fighting for and yes, they say that they're helping out the Eldar, but are they really? Who knows? Don't care. They're all just having a good time, and I'm having a good time with them. So it just basically got to the point where I was like, I really want to collect these guys. And from yeah. a tabletop point of view, they are frighteningly fast. Oh, man, they are so good in combat. And just the fact that they can they move. They also look uh, lovely as well. The fantastic models. Some of the best models in the game, I think. And Solitaire is probably one of the best models I've ever created. It's got that thing is just amazing. And brilliant. some of the best dynamic poses ever. I mean, the, you know, and so um, the more I looked into them, I was like, wow, these guys are great. Um, and uh, so I basically went a complete opposite from the Necrons, which are quite slow, to <laughs> essentially hyper fast, almost <laughs> the fastest stungers in the game. Yeah, you know, almost decided, like, these guys are too slow for me. What's the fastest yeah. thing I can get? <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah, that's that's what I went for. And I got the speed bug, you know, so as soon as I watched a couple of battle reps, um, just with people using them, I was like, My gosh, they got a, they got across that board really quickly. Oh my days, this is insane. And um essentially that's what, what kind of drew me is a bit of a speed freak kind of thing. And um yeah, I basically just looked at it and thought, yeah, these these guys are actually ones that I potentially could do with. And um, one of the problems I think with the Necrons 
which yeah, I was kind of feeling uh, was a bit of a problem was that you, you can't compensate for their weaknesses because they can't ally up with anybody because you know there's not other parts of they're not a sub faction of a larger faction mm. they are just Necrons um, and while they're while they're cool and I love the fluff and the stuff it's like actually it would be quite nice to have something else and have a bit more variety so Eldar fit that bill really well because you can team up with Drukari or you can team up with Eldari and um yeah, you know, so you kind of compensate for some of the weaknesses. So, one of the problems actually with um, Harlequins is they're they're so cool in terms of just like how they operate. And so, there's a rule called Rising Crescendo, which basically means that they can advance, shoot, and charge all in the same battle phase. It's just, it's no just fantastic. There is literally no stopping them. But like all of the Eldar stuff, they are glass cannons. So, they they're probably the most glass cannony of all of the glass cannon stuff so it probably goes them dark eldar and then craft worlds but they you know so they they still only toughness three so but they have a four plus invulnerable save across the entire army which is just amazing so um yeah they're, they're quite an interesting one and it's it's it can be quite a uh an unpleasant surprise should we say for anybody who's not faced harlequins before because um, yeah. when you realize they're in your face pretty much turn one it's 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 pretty hardcore so, so um yeah sorry i know i'm ranting a little bit here um so my uh yeah so my second army is harlequins basically and then i thought oh well i kind of want another army that i can do narrative stuff with because harlequins are great but they're they're so nasty basically that you can't don't want to take them in a narrative game because it just doesn't really suit that kind of so is that like the cities of death stuff eventually led you round to the blood angels because it was their yeah. backstory and their fluff and all the narrative around them that really drew you to them oh absolutely i mean you know i think it's a fair point to say that most people when they come into the hobby the first stop you do is usually space marines you know middle yeah. of the road stuff you know you, you're pretty easy to understand uh this unit does this this unit does this there's not a huge amount of psychic stuff that they need to know uh, the rules are quite simple. A lot of auras and buffs, which help really well, and they're quite easy to understand and synergize. You know, but they are obviously marines, and marines. I think of just personally, I think they they're kind of struggling a lot at the moment in terms of just being something which can be kind of really bring the fight on their own. Because the problem is, is you know, I, I love my blood angels and I want to play pure blood angels, but playing pure blood angels is really hard because they're um they're so combat oriented it can also be very rewarding though because you're it can also be a huge collection then you know it's you've really oh yeah completely your heart and soul in it and it brings that comes to life on the tabletop whenever you play with them hugely and so basically i wanted to have more narrative games and uh and i thought well that's not going to put people off as much if i have something like a space (laughs) marine army because the you know, because the the worst thing you want is a narrative game is you basically just destroy your opponent in turn one or two because yeah, that's not really where's, actually where's fun. The fun Who's, you're not yeah, both exactly. playing a game then. That's just one of you playing a game. Well, yeah, essentially, and a bit of a cautionary tale, I'm playing, um, playing the same guy, actually, I played the uh, Slaneshi Demons with and uh, I said, oh, let's have a Cities of Death. Let's start like a, a narrative campaign. That'd be really great. And, um, you know, kind of do it either kind of a weekly or or bi-weekly just try and get a few more games in than just just the regular once a week and uh so it was like yeah it's great so then we did uh the first mission was an ambush mission but i was like okay well you know and so i said to him i was like look it needs to be kind of fluffy but you know you don't want too much teeth in this because at the end of the day the whole point of cities of cities of death especially is like quite heavily infantry based you're not supposed to have loads of vehicles it's like you know maybe a tank 
or maybe a dreadnought but the whole point is you're doing it kind of foot slogging because you're in an urban environment so it yeah. kind of brings a lot more grittiness to it which i think i really really enjoy um and so you know i i bring like assault marines and i bring a few death companies you know like maybe from, five like, or ten rooftop to rooftop is also just cool to see and it actually gives you yeah. a lot of tactical diversity in that sort of environment because yeah. you've got like a hold of a plane of or like angle of attack that you know mm. is going to be harder to counterband you know oh yeah you know so i was kind of bringing something that's fluffy and and really blood angelsy and and all that kind of stuff and um and then he brought uh like 90 demonettes uh <laughs> Two two relic contemptors, which basically if they hit, they cause more wounds straight away. And Land Raider Achilles, if anybody knows what that is, that is just outrageous. And um, two demon princes. So it was like, oh, okay, I've not really <laughs> kind of stand a chance here. So it was, it was, yeah. The the first match lasted less than an hour, and the second one lasted less than thirty minutes. So it was like, not really enjoyed this. Um, so I think you've not really grasped the idea of what we want to do here as a narrative. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna stop there. I think that's great. Um, so mm, yeah. one, one last question then about yourself: If you yourself had your own data sheet, what would your warlord trait be? Uh, can I only have one, or can <laughs> I have several? <laughs> I think for now I'll have to go with just one. Maybe just one. maybe if you earn enough titles in battle, you can. Earn that's some true. More. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. This is a hard one. I think I I I really actually like the um. So I'd, I'd I think I'd go Space Marines and be a Blood Angel, um, and I think I'd probably I'd probably have. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be it, one that actually exists. Obviously, I'm just saying, like, if you no, had your I know personal warlord trait. Yeah, what would it be? I think it would be. I'd, I'd love it to be like two separate ones. It's essentially there's a couple of amazing characters in the Blood Angels that you get. So I'd I'd want the Chapter Master one, so you can reroll all failed hits. Um, I think that would be really cool. But then, like once per game, you can do like a uh, like an insane like a cry for Sanguinius or a shout or something like that, <laughs> where basically you. Um, you add like a plus two to the attack's characteristic for any unit within six inches, but you can only do it once per game, and it's like a maximum of three units or something. So, but basically, like just like you know, this one moment where you just like the blood and the red thirst just takes over, and it's just like, oh, and everyone just goes crazy and starts killing stuff. Um, that would be kind of cool, sort of like a, an unleashing ability, just sort of. Yeah, basically. You're not, yeah. you're not going full death company, but you're kind of letting everyone just fall to the red thirst a bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, completely. It's like it's okay as long as we pull back, but only do it for this turn. Um, so yeah, That's but awesome. uh, how about yourself, man? How long have you been uh, playing forty k? So, uh, so I've actually been playing for years. Like I've been playing since about third edition. Oh right, so you've literally been playing straight from that. If, is there any breaks in between, or just not really? There was a, like I took a bit of a lull in around about sixth edition, but I never really stopped playing. But yeah, the interesting thing is, like looking back now, I kind of realise I never was really fully invested in the hobby. Not to say I didn't spend way more on it than I should have done over those years. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Who doesn't? Who yeah. doesn't? I would like. I think when I was a bit younger, I played a lot. But I kind of mm. just 
played with armies that just you know got built, never really painted them. They were just kept hacking and reshuffling them into whatever loadouts I wanted or needed as additions changed. And I'd right. be more interested in going down to the, like the local store and playing games, like you know over the weekend and stuff, and playing lots and lots and lots of games. But actually, looking back, I don't think I really did much outside of the stores. You know, I didn't spend much time at home actually painting my armies, getting invested yeah. in building my collection, putting time and effort into like terrain or conversions or whatever like that. It was very much just a bit more like uh, a big board game. And sure. Yeah. It's only really since about the middle of seventh edition, so probably the last two to three years that I'd say mm. I've sort of realized that and really properly committed to getting into the hobby. Um, but then mm, yeah. equally, I'd only really say it's been the last year when I've properly like downsized. I used to have like loads of armies. So like my, my original army back in the day was Dark Eldar. Oh, really? Nice. I'm talking all Dark Eldar. Like, uh, my first thing I owned was the uh, starter box set's third edition, which was the Black Templars <laughs> versus Dark, uh, Dark Eldar. Oh, <laughs> welcome to the pain train. Yeah. <laughs> now, like, I'm actually a bit of a an odd case for most hobbyists in that, so I've been playing nearly about 15 years. I've never really owned a Space Marine army. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> like, so thanks, I, thanks, thanks for tonight, guys. We'll just leave it there. Thanks. <laughs> I've never really been that interested in Space Marines. Now I do have some of my like choice chapters that I like, mm. but they've just yeah. never really appealed to me on the table because the stuff that's appealed to me is a lot of the wider universe stuff. So in particular, like the Xenos races. Yeah. Well, that's it. I do find actually that people people either gravitate first thing to the imperium because it's humanity it's something they understand and they know or they go yeah i understand humanity great don't care about that show me the xenos stuff and yeah. that's where they you know so and, and then you never actually kind of delve back into imperium so so like, guy at the club that we know mark he he only collects eldar and uh he's only now got an admech army um because we basically forced him into getting one um because he mentioned to me one time on a night we went oh yeah i think i'd like to get another army and i was like okay well what, what would it be and he went oh, i'll probably get the admec so then from then on when it came to his birthday we all just chipped in and got to start collecting bugs for him <laughs> so yeah well uh, like, we i go. was never an imperial player for the longest time mm. um it wasn't until about maybe five years ago that i picked up my first imperial army and that's my imperial guard Oh, my ah, the guard. Yeah, because oh, the, the, the appeal great. there was I liked them because they're just the standard human. It's like, and you one. love the Soviet Union, yeah. so you thought, why not want to <laughs> recreate the battlefields of World War Two in an actual army? Well, like I've created my own regiment, but rules-wise, I do use them as Valhallans because that is exactly how I play guard. I'm very callous with them, but just like you yeah. know, send in more and more men. To <laughs> the send in another wave. Yeah. yeah. So, what's um, your um, what's your regiment then? Have you got a little bit of background to it? So, yeah, the the um, my regiment's the Medusan 501st. Nice, like that already. Um, so they actually herald from the original Cities of Death campaign that was held on Medusa. Oh, cool. Very nice. Medusa 
four, I want to say. It was four or five. No, Medusa five. It was the Medusa five campaign, yeah. Um, so they're meant to be sort of like urban experts, like, you know, urban warfare guardsmen. Um, mm, cool. But yeah. in that they're used to being in just really dangerous um, environments. Not sort of like think Catchans, but urban. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, so they're, cool. So they're, they're very morbid in that they're aware that their life expectancy is not very long but they don't like have any um begrudging of that of like the officers and the higher ups they still very much respect the higher up officers in the way like the catchers oh, cool. do you know like, the catchers very much respect the chain of command and yeah. um in that they think that the people above them are very much like heroes to be venerated sort of thing whereas most guys <laughs> yeah. tend to hate their officers Exactly. This guy two days ago was just like me. Now look at him. He's commanding this entire regiment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my my actual models for them are all actually kit bashed from mixed Kachan and Kadian parts. That's really cool. Uh, well, I mean, that's the thing actually um, that I'm quite sad about with regards to guard is there's so many variations. There's so many cool tactics and different things you can do. Whether it's you know, Talan stuff or Armageddon or Voistrian or Mordian, but you can't get any of the models anymore. And it's really, yeah. really annoying. But it, but mine, having been sort of kitbashed from the two kits, I think they've got a really nice sort of like urban but mobile fighting force look to them because they have the Cadian legs and arms. So they've got like the shoulder pad that the Cadians have. Yeah, but I use the Kachan chests, so they've got like either um, vests over like bare chests, yeah, um, or they've just got like full like vests and waistcoats sort of things, so, like you know, just like layers, like little just jackets. So they don't look like typical Kachans who all look bare chested and burly and big burly arms, because yeah. they've got they've got full length sleeves and jackets and shoulder pads and all the rest of it. But they don't look like green-faced Cadians because they don't have like the helmets and the the prim um, uh, like carapace chest pieces. They do yeah. look like guys that are sort of like roughing it. You know, they're used to just sleeping in trenches and stuff. That's cool. I like that. So they've I got like a really sort of like gritty action hero sort of look to them. <laughs> kind of uh, yeah, like Schwarzenegger in the late '80s kind of look. I like it. Um, but yeah, so I've got my guard. Um, my uh-huh. like my main true love though is my orcs. Like, <laughs> yes, one of the, I've oh. had since the early days. I think, like I say, my dark elder, which are long gone now, but they were the one that I dipped my toe into the game in the first place. But the orcs were, I think, the first army that I chose to collect, sort of thing. You know, that I didn't just happen to get mm. hold of one that I decided I was going to collect that army. And I've always had my orcs, and. For over a decade, I've always had an unpainted orc army, as I'm sure most <laughs> orc uh, generals have. But well, yeah, just so many models. If you if you play um, the way they normally play with lots of butts of boys, but, um, you, but don't, you don't you do play not. with lots of boys, do you? No, because of all the clans, I play um, those thieving death skulls. <laughs> those lucky yeah, blue kids don't just... get their hands on anything they can <laughs> and that's because the thing that appeals to me so much about the orc range both mechanically and like model wise I love all the crazy gizmos and gadgets and like mad scientist 
sort of like crazy approach to the science and the weaponry and all of everything they do just madcap and crazy you know they're not um they're not careless no sorry they're not like an endless horde of of dying droves of orcs and orcs and orcs because they're mm. callous and morbid. No, they're <laughs> they they are like that because they're just absolutely reckless and just are having fun with it. You know, they don't they they just don't care about their own casualties because they're having a great time. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I just I do love the orcs. They're so funny. They bring so much humour to. You know, because uh, they're just obscene. They're just obscene. Like some of the stuff they do is really, brilliant. So I've I've never been a I've never taken interest in the the green tide. You know, like so having the hundred sixty yeah, boys on the table, which is a traditional kind of way, isn't it? Where you just yeah. mob people. Where it's like, yes, they've got a six up save, but there's so many of them, you you simply can't kill them all Whereas in time. I've always you know, enjoyed yeah. playing with. Like my Gorkonauts and my weird boys and my shock attack guns and my, mm. my uh, looted wagons, um, and with the like with last year's um, update to the army, they got the range of all the new buggies and stuff, and they're brilliant. Oh man, yeah. So but like the speed freak stuff is fantastic, Re- and really great models as well. I think that's what's what's really really nice actually is, and um, you know you've seen that massively in the fact that they've got all of the codexes out within less than two years which I was hearing before, it's, you know, you look, if you get like two or three a year, um, you know, the rules have been a lot more simplified. They keep re- releasing new stuff like Kill Team or, you know, Cities of Death, Urban Conquest, more narrative stuff all the time, which is fantastic. Um, Church Approved is always coming out, but, you know, they grain out m- new models as well. And I think the Orcs especially, yeah. you know, they haven't had some new models for a long time. So the well, new ones looking but because I've been playing with Death Skulls and one of the appeals that I loved about them was this aspect of looting and obviously taking um, like Imperial vehicles and weaponry and turning them yeah, into Yeah, it's usually an Imperial one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So all of my Orc vehicles, like every single one of them, every, sorry, not every single one of them because they've got the new buggies and stuff, but previously, it's like all my trucks and my gun wagons and all that, they're all actually converted up from looted Imperial vehicles. So, like, my trucks are made out of either um, Imperial Toroxes or um, I, these days now I've even got, like, some Gene Steeler rock grinders. That are, I've oh, my God. Um, my gun wagons are looted leaving Russes. Uh, like oh, man, like... I just... I just really feel like it'd be really cool if you took a couple of the models from the different factions... And have them on as like chained up as slaves somewhere on the on the um, <laughs> on the vehicles. So like you know, have you seen the Mad Max Fury Road where they stick them to the front yeah. of the vehicle? You just like stick a gene stealer or like a you know a, a, a cult member just on the front, just like chained up. <laughs> oh, I think that'd be great. So, I absolutely love my Death Skulls. I do. I've been really, really getting into playing them ever since the Codex came out um, in November last year. Like. They're the main army I play, the, the army I'm currently using in the uh, campaign that we're playing in, and I, I love everything about them. I've loved them for so long, and I'm glad that I'm finally committing some time and effort into getting the collection where I want it to be. Like you know, Yeah, it's really the, satisfying. Got rid of all the like old and broken or out-of-dated stuff, and I've just downsized the units I wanted, and I'm going to concentrate on making, getting those painted and actually having a finished Orc army. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be really great because um, it, it is really nice and it's really satisfying to see an army um, come together in terms of, of being painted as well as just being on the tabletop and using them really well. But like, there's something really nice about seeing all every single model in your army painted and you know fleshed out in terms of actually being there with all the different colours and stuff. It's really cool. And um, absolutely. On top of my guard and my orcs, I also I have Necrons myself as well. Um, again, yes. the thing that drew me to them was um, one, some of the sort of again mad scientist style weaponry. You know the sort of the whole messing with physics that they do. Uh, yeah, the you know. um, the one that I love the most for that kind of stuff is Nemesis Andrek, who's basically like a senile old man, but who's who's yeah, like essentially an amazing yeah. tactician at the same time. It's just Whereas I love the um, oh, I, I love the annihilation, not the annihilation barge, the um, the doomsday doomsday arc. arc. Yeah, I love it just because it's got a weapon called the doomsday cannon. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. I could literally be there cackling away, going. Power the doomsday weapon. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous that thing. Um, Frightening in the game if it pulls off. You know, if you do a D six and you get a, a four or five or a six, brutal stuff. Um, so um, is that the uh, is that the three armies then? Uh, well, three or four because then the fourth, <laughs> ar- the fourth army I have, which is realistically one of my second nearest and dearest armies, but it always waxes and wanes over the years. I have chaos demons. And oh really? That, Interesting. I mean, chaos demons. Ah, yes, always... you're a chaos undivided player, aren't you? Yes, I collect all the four gods in like all their aspects, and I don't play with any of their like mortal um, subjects. So minions. I don't have... yeah, yeah, I don't have any chaos marines. Don't have any cultists or any of that. It's like it's just the skions of the gods themselves. And I yeah. had them ever oh, since they got their own independent codex back in like fifth, maybe even fourth edition. I think it was fifth edition, but whichever it was, that was brilliant. I loved that one. Mm. <laughs> and I've always nice. enjoyed playing with them because they always play outside the box. They don't play like a traditional army. It's almost as if they're playing on a different plane of existence. Huzzah! Oh, yeah. yeah and I, I, and um, the thing I love about yeah, that anything is watching my opponent have to work out how they're gonna have to deal with things in perhaps a more unorthodox way <laughs> and like, everything with a five plus invulnerable demon save <laughs> yeah i i does this there's a surprising theme across the arms i collect where i'm kind of known for rolling five pluses because my demons all have five buns my yeah. orcs all hit on fives and my necrons all reanimate on fives yeah you're one of those guys are you oh i see like oh Give me a file pin run over a two up save any day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll pass it when I need to. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the actual hobby, then, uh, what was uh, what was like a or what if you had to kind of define one kind of favourite aspect about um, about forty k? What would it be? I mean, I think it has to be the law. Like, I love the world mm. building. It's a thing that I've always looked for in anything I engage in, like any hobby or interest. I love anything that goes out of its way to really build and develop its universe yeah like that's yeah, why um for most people they'll probably say oh, i love space marines you know like i love the idea of the mighty yeah. space soldier defending the imperial man and actually i'm sitting there going you know what? i love orcs and necrons and demons like i love all the things yeah. that are kind of almost 
unique to Warhammer. Like, bit hipsterish. I like it. Yeah, well, the, I like it. You're you're the hipster forty k guy. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you can admit it, Tony. That's well, totally fine. Like a forty k or a, a Games Workshop IP orc doesn't typically fit the stereotype of an orc in any other system, be it you know Lord of the Rings, D and D, whatever. Like, do you <laughs> oh know what my I mean? gosh! They're, they're, they're not the same kind of orcs. If you had a forty k orc in like Middle Earth, that you got <laughs> right. problems, buddy. You got some serious problems. You know, <laughs> uh, and then the Chaos Gods, like the Chaos Demons, and the mm. entire war behind them is pretty much one of the v- almost exclusively unique things in the Games Workshop IP. We know a few things have got rifts from certain like, 80s tropes, but yeah, exactly. the, the Demons IP is very much something that is oh, unique yeah. to their universe, and I love that. It's really cool. It. And uh, so, and yeah. I love the, the different Chaos Gods as well, like the idea of, you know, kind of you, uh, and why people worship them for different reasons. So, like, obviously, Nurgle, you said you're, you've got a fear of death, so Nigel says, okay, well, you won't die, but your existence isn't going to be amazing because you're going to basically be carrying around plagues and, and rot so, and yeah. decay and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, Slanesh is like and temptation and pleasure and excess, yeah. But then obviously that excess will, you, you know, whatever sensation you get will never be enough, so you will constantly be striving after it. You know, corn is like you just want to kill something and, and, and feel that raw power of bloodlust, but then it will never satisfy that bloodlust, so you, then you have to keep killing, keep killing, keep killing, so it will never do it again. And then, you know, Zinch is, you want to change the situation you're in. So Zinch says, cool, I'll change the situation for you. But then that situation changes again and again and again and again and again. And you, you will just basically drive you mad. And I love it because there's all these things. Like, there is actually no real reason why you should do long term yeah, serve no these right cast gods. There's no reason to any of it. But that doesn't change oh, the fact that it, it somehow it, gets you in the moment. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, and, and well, it obviously makes sense from a law point of view. You know, this 40k universe is. That is a very dark, brutal, harsh, unforgiving place where nobody really cares about you. And especially if you're a human being on a planet where there's like, you know, quadrillions upon quadrillions of you, you know, w- w- you know, what does your life matter in the entire galaxy? You know, it's just insane. <laughs> you, you can't really think about it. So then all of a sudden somebody tells you you're special. It turns out to be, a, you know, an icon mm. worshipper of uh, of chaos. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you do what they say because it makes you feel good and... You know, then you slip, I, and then I, the grey knights turn up. <laughs> and I absolutely love that, in a completely unironic way, that sense of chaos. Yeah, oh yeah, all. chaos is chaos is great. Yeah, they've really, really done well on that. But yeah, even just things like the orcs, as I say, like their entire existence is just they exist to be themselves. They exist for no yeah, real purpose other no than to be there. Self-serving interests completely. I yeah. love it. I love it how just insane they are. And just how... Because, uh, again, it's one of these things where they're, they're essentially the pest of 40K. But if you don't deal with that pest, they can become extremely formidable. And, yeah. you know, obviously just in numbers where it's, it's on a planet or whatever, there's always kind of, they say, you know, low-lying numbers of them so as soon as an orc touches a planet they'll always keep breeding because of the fungus essentially so you can't ever really get rid of them but you know if you don't deal with them <laughs> then they rise up and one of them becomes the leader and then he beats the others into submission and then he just creates a war and then before you know it you've got you know an entire star system that's been taken over by orcs it's just you know there you go that becomes a real problem 
you know, and that's that's what I love it because it's like you can't take your eyes off the orcs. You've got to make sure that you're keeping you know them in check. But you can't do that because in the 40k universe, you've got to deal with Necrons. You then got the Eldar doing some trickery stuff around. Then you've got Chaos just trying to take over the galaxy. Then you've got you know the Tau coming in, and then let's not even start on the Tyranids. Flipping out, you got some serious <laughs> problems. If you're Gilliman, mate, you got some serious problems after you've just woken up after your nap. Flipping heck so bad but i love it it's just amazing so yeah absolutely it's it's fantastic um so if you um if you had to have one uh one warlord trait like you asked me you know on, on your data sheet what would it be i thought a little bit about this about what it was i thought you I might have would define yeah they would define like how i would play on the tabletop and yeah. i know that the thing i would i would do is disrupt the enemy's plans and not in like, you know, lots of espionage and guile and thinking. <laughs> it'd be an orky way. Yeah, it'd be a very orky way or a very chaotic way. It'd be just sheer unpredictability. Just being sort of like erratic and mm. not being, uh, just not conventional methods of warfare and all the rest of it. You know, just really sure. making people be thrown off by my presence you know and how i'm leading my forces or whatever so i thought the best way to represent that would be i'd have a 12 inch aura and i say it's 12 inch because this is affecting both me and the enemy a 12 inch aura of no rerolls oh interesting because it it's adding more variance into the game it's creating more opportunity for swinginess it's disrupting mm. plans it's making things unreliable it's it just is a a moving aura of more chaos because you can't control it plans go awry <laughs> you know, things yeah. don't go the way you want them to you be you be used to using your reliable weaponry or tactics or stratagems or whatever and they just wouldn't be as reliable. So Oh yeah, I mean you, you do that near, you know, a bunch of hell blasters who are trying to supercharge. Um and there's a captain there trying to reroll ones and all of a sudden you can't reroll those ones. That's brutal. Yeah. That's brutal. Like yeah. and it's not like it's inherently an offensive ability. No, because again would... it would affect you because if you wanted to like say do your charge in the charge phase and you can't re roll so you can't use yeah. your built in here here we go ability. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really interesting. Like I think that'd just be how I like be very me you know like I say if I'm there with the demons you know again just the sheer chaoticness of it all it's just there is no reliability around me I am an anomaly that causes mayhem wherever I go yeah yeah that would be really interesting actually (laughs) yeah I think that would be kind of an orky version of cypher I like it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um, well, talking of things that we like, um, we are both of us are part of a campaign uh, at our local club um, yeah, called the so Hades Campaign. We um, will, we'll tell you about that in a minute because uh, I think we just, we just need a little break and then uh, we'll come back <laughs> yes. and tell you all about uh, the big 40k campaign that we are going to be reporting on basically throughout the podcast. Absolutely. So. We'll, we'll see you in a bit, guys. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles, 
and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on, and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram, at NarrativeWarGamer, and over on Twitter, at Narrative40k, for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we are back. We're yeah. fully back, Tony. Yes. <laughs> the boys are back in town. So that was, that was a little bit about us ourselves, a little bit about the sort of things we're going to cover in the podcast in the future. And one of those big things that we are going to talk about is the Hades campaign that we are both participating in amongst yeah. many other players in our local uh, gaming club. Yeah, I think the, uh, there's... Uh, there's maybe 12 or 14 of us, I think. Um, and we've got order and disorder. So we, uh, I am on the order side. (laughs) Yeah. Three guesses which side I'm on. Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, Tony's part of the disorder, just in case anybody doesn't (laughs) fully get that. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic. We, uh, well, we are, we ourselves, we had a little game, didn't we? Um, last, uh, last weekend, which was very good for the, uh, well, end towards the end of the first month so um for every yeah, month so we, we're starting yeah, at different levels one of the things we talk about briefly is how it's being run because it's worth saying up front that we're actually both just participating in it aren't we like neither of us oh strictly yeah. like you know the campaign organizers but no i think there's like three or four of them that have, have spent a bit of time kind of organizing and making a little rules pack and coming up with this and there's a couple of guys in the club that um that really love narrative and really get into it which is fantastic um because it means we get some really great stuff they'll enjoy it (laughs) exactly yeah um so it's fantastic and yeah we they've they've done some really fantastic stuff so they've they've really set lots of groundwork in place haven't they mm. they've created this like um segment not segment segmentum um system uh, called the Hades system, and they've populated it with you know these planets and background and laws to what's going on on each of them, and um, how they're essentially initially all held by imperial forces in various states, um, and they've all got their own like ecosystems, and they're all going to have their own campaign rules for yeah. sort of each month of the campaign as we play because it's been very clever how they've done it how each month of real time is going to rep- represent the war front of one of the planets in the system. Yeah, oh, it's just so cool when we think about it. But um, So we, we've just finished month one, and um, within that, so basically the idea is with with when uh, we progress through um, and, and start fighting on a different planet that um, we're going to have an escalation so that obviously the first month is is the thousand points so the, uh, this is to represent the fact that like there's there's obviously the kind of low level fighting's been going on all the time but now it's getting a bit more serious as as more factions start coming into the uh, into the system um, and then month two is like an escalation of that so it's up to 1200 and then I think we get 1500 next month and then it goes up to 1750 and then 2000 um, and then I don't know actually I don't know if we're going to carry on after that but it's, it's a good fair yeah. chunk of time at the moment it's scheduled to run through till November isn't it this year yeah so and, plenty um, of yeah. time 
Lots of campaign stuff, and obviously, yeah, you know, each each victory or defeat uh, counts towards an overall score for either order or disorder, and um, it's been really great. Yeah, so I think we've taken, or they've, those guys have taken stuff from the Vigilist Defiant and Vigilist Ablaze books, uh, which is really, really interesting and really fantastic. So it's really nice to see yeah. an amalgamation of those things. So and, like, um, um, if yeah. the first month was taking place on the like forest death world in the system mm, so yeah. we had um optional rules to use either the gene stealer infestation from sort of like six of death but in the context of in the, like, the jungle um and things such as the dangerous uh, flora uh, like environmental yeah. effects and so on really really cool that yeah so um for anyone who doesn't know that one is basically when you end a move within i think it's uh, three inches of a piece of flora or fauna um, you have to take a roll because you're basically breathing in deadly toxins so on a roll of a one you take a mortal wound so um it's really quite it adds a really interesting little dynamic i think to the whole affair um because it only affects infantry but if you've basically got lots of infantry in your army and they're kind of foot slogging across um then actually it's really interesting because you could potentially lose a couple of your forces just trying to get up the board. And we're playing the um, scenario... Well, the first one I did was actually a 2v2, which was really cool. Um, and it was Ultramarines and Blood Angels versus... This is the weirdest mashup ever, but it makes sense in a disorder kind of way, of um, Speed Freak Orcs and uh, Word Bearers. <laughs> so it was, it was a really weird matchup when you look at across the board and go, yeah, not really sure how these two have been able to convince each uh, other that they should fight together. Obviously, yeah, the Speed Freaks have obviously just heard the conflict and they've just got there, just in time. I think it must be that, yeah. I just have this idea of just like a couple of psycho care space marines just charging towards these ultramarine lines and then just looking to their left and going i think there's a load of orcs over there i don't really know what's going on but okay yeah, they seem to be attacking the ultramarines so that's yeah. fine by us and if you if you're word bearers you absolutely hate the ultramarines yeah. so yeah you definitely don't care about if a couple of them those blue boys get killed yeah. so which, um, which, and it was really great it was the um angels Desc or descent of angels one so yeah, um, because we so how they've structure the campaign as well is every month there's a recommended like d3 table of missions isn't there yeah so, there like, is it's really great one there was um ambush uh, from the main rule book storm the lines from vigilus and the angels descend from vigilus and like they're all ever so slightly adopted just to make sure they work um yeah and yeah. as always when we get to a table we sort of work out from the armies there and the army that's been used if there's an appropriate way to use and choose who's an attacker and defender rather than necessarily being order disorder like yeah. um yeah. i uh i played against um alan's ultramarines um where the majority of his force is like the shadow spear force so it's basically more or less all got infiltrate so yeah, but that makes sense. Uh, did you mean Alex? Alex, Alex Rams, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> Keep calling him Alan. It's Every great. But Alex. Alan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, no, but that, you know that kind of for me makes a lot of sense in terms of well, if you're playing it really fluffy because you know you want you, like the Shadow Spear stuff is essentially Vanguard, and you would have those guys searching out the planet, you know, because they're ultramarines yeah. and they're vanilla. You know, we poster knew, boys. For example, that if we'd rolled the ambush mission. Um, we typically the order force should have been the defender which means they'd have been the ones trying to escape the ambush 
Um, mm, yeah, but yeah. because his force more or less all infiltrates, it seemed like it wouldn't work neatly with the mission because he'd basically be infiltrating right next to the escape table edge. <laughs> yeah, and, no, and yeah, completely, because you can deploy nine inches away yeah. from everybody. Yeah. Uh, so if we did, we knew that if we were rolled up that mission, we would have reversed the roles, and I, as the orc player, would actually have been the defender, which meant I was an orc force, like this convoy of orc boys in trucks that was trying to escape the board, which would make more sense, especially if we'd been ambushed by these infiltrating marines. Yeah, but yeah. in the end we didn't, we ended up playing Storm the Lines, because that's the one we got, but um, that that was a completely different kind of game then, but also just, just mm. as fun. But um, you were saying you yeah, played your game against, actually a 2v2 game. Yeah, so it was me and Alistair um, and his Ultramarines and my Blood Angels versus uh, Dan and uh Lewis's yeah uh orcs and word bearers respectively and uh yeah it was really cool so the kind of uh idea that we we put into that was that um Captain Atrion um is following Thrax basically to this sector who's um the death guard guy from my city's uh, from the Cyprus Mundi campaign um and basically he's he's following him to this sector and then he starts hearing lots of calls for help and um, sees that the sector's not in a really good place. So he basically has to say, well, we're going to have to, you know, being defenders of humanity, they have to put their kind of personal, you know, he needs to put his personal vengeance aside uh, and in hunting down Thrax and um, and actually start helping people. So gets the gets the call from uh, from the Ultramarines to say that they're under attack and uh, they need reinforcements as soon as possible. So jumps in a drop pod, you know, jumps in a Thunderhawk and um and then they start jumping from the skies. Um yeah. so basically the idea is that the Ultramarines have, have come to this part of the planet and they don't really know why there's there, but there's 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 something in this bunker basically and so when they go into the bunker and soon as soon as they come out they start getting hit by an art- artillery bombardment and um and that's when the that our game started basically and yeah, he had to hold off for the first turn. Uh, a lot of 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 speed coming at him quite quickly, and um, he did really well actually. So we uh, classic, you know, kind of ultramarines. He held there while I took all the flash and the glory. So it was uh, it was fantastic. Good old uh, ultramarines. So you, you touched there uh, briefly on the like narrative of your force and why it's mm. here in the system, and this is something that when I was introduced to like the campaign, and I thought was brilliant, is that we're actually we've all written our own backstory and narrative to why our forces are there in the system yeah it's really cool Hades. um but also we've all got our own like semi-unique character haven't we because yeah absolutely and, and i think that's really encouraged not only in in this but i, I mean i always encourage people when when we do narrative games is you know don't bring named characters you know if it's space marines bring a captain if it's an orc bring a war boss you know and just make your own because i think when you start adding layers like this into a narrative game it becomes really personal and it becomes you really start to feel connected to that character and it's amazing you know like i love atrion and 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 he will always be my my number one smash captain even though i've got three of them you know it's like um, he will always be the first one so we've used the like custom character traits from chapter approved haven't we but yeah, also... this was a little bit weird because I was a bit like, if you look at them from the open play, because they're supposed to be for the open play section, and I remember looking at them going, I mean, 
anybody who's met a Captain Slam knows that that guy is a, that guy is a war criminal. That guy really mm-hmm. is a war criminal. But well, you with these these things, you can make him almost indestructible. So well, I've and because I didn't want to so do it. Many like characters in so many ways. But so what we've yeah. done is the campaign system we're using is assigned like a point system to these abilities, and we're starting with like an allowance of like four of these like hero points. Um, yeah, hero points at the beginning cool, of the campaign. It, yeah. And like at the um it's like every other month, isn't it? It's like the two month and the four month mark. Yeah. Or at, yeah. at the at the completion of the two and four month marks. Um where like our leading heroes and characters are going to get another handful of points and then a stat increase and so on. But mm. we've like made it in such a way that it feels like a more balanced approach to the character specialization and it also really helps us create our own little story and background so do you want to tell us uh, just briefly a little bit about um captain captain atrion atrion, atrion. yeah um, like the what were the unique abilities that he's got as part of this campaign and yeah what is his yeah. little background so uh captain atrion the they kind of um he has the angel hammer um, so the story I made up was I actually really wanted to write a little short story about it but essentially in my head he's um, a guy who served on the Indomitus Crusade but was originally from Baal so he gets taken during the Great Crusade when uh, Belisarius Call is, is you know basically starting to make the Primaris and um, and basically takes him back to uh back to mars and then puts him in the program and then he uh you know gets unleashed as part of the indomitus crusade and then when the uh indomitus crusade comes to baal after the devastation of baal for anybody who's read that that is an amazing novel if you haven't read it and um basically he then becomes part of the blood angels force um and then uh, the idea is that he gets sent away with a small detachment of some of the remnants of the originals so the guys who still have because the idea is with the new primara stuff they don't suffer from the black rage but they do have the red thirst so the idea is that basically he doesn't really know what the black rage is because unless you're a part of the blood angels force for a while they don't tell you like nobody knows what the black rage is so the idea with that is that basically he um commands this group of of uh mini marines essentially is what it would be but old you know what will become old Astartes, and um uh he ends up going to his first mission is to a dark eldar planet or a planet that's under attack from dark eldar forces and uh basically slowly but surely all of the guys fall to the back rage through either kind of intoxication with drugs from through the drukari or just because it happens or whatever and he ends up having like a massive duel basically with the final guy who turns turns to the black rage and uh, he ends up having to kill the final guy himself um and then he goes on this like insane red thirst murder spree and he, he ends up killing the archon who's who's part of this raiding force um and as part of the prize that the archon's got he's got this thing called the angel hammer which is it turns out because obviously like you know drukari love collecting shit so all that kind of stuff is like yeah let's just have some stuff so they have basically this relic thunder hammer um and it's called the angel hammer and so he takes that and and feels like the hand of Sanguinius upon it basically, and um, and then returns to the chapter and uh, and then he's getting tells his account, and uh, is given um, basically captaincy and uh, and a small strike force to uh, to go and and bring justice to the to the galaxy, um, and then yeah that's when the Cyprus Mundi campaign kind of comes into it, um, so 
yeah, that's the kind of backstory in terms of who he is as a as a, as a character. But um, the two hero points that I've got for him is Swift Strike, so he always fights first in the fight phase. Um, obviously, if you have a charged unit, that one fights first, and then he he goes because yeah. I thought well you know he's a blood angel he's a captain who loves to get into combat so you know he wants to be the one to kind of you know hit the enemy hard and hit them first um, and then I took uh, reactive tactics so uh, anybody within six inches of him can fall back and still charge in the, in the same turn as I imagine blood angels would do like exactly can, which you know they would be leaping in and out of fights with their jump packs and really absolutely yeah so the idea being that he is he's that kind of guy who's you know going to inspire them and be like onward brothers you know and then they just smash back into the lines and mm-hmm. activate the red thirst and get a plus one to the wound roll so yeah all good so those are the two powers i took because i was going to take the uh there's one which is like hard to kill where basically wound rolls of ones twos and threes fail yeah, you can't always be fail. Better than a four plus. Yeah. So essentially, it's like, well, yeah, I, I may have already fought a certain grey knight, a captain who had that. Yes, it's it's pretty brutal that one. And I thought, with a smash captain who's already got, you know, uh, if you give him death wishes, sanguinius, he gets the black rage. So he, uh, you know, he gets a six up feel no pain. Depending on what warlord trait you take, you can either give him uh, a five up feel no pain, or you can give him. Uh, you know, he's so that his thunder hammer is called Artisan of War. So his thunder hammer, instead of being damage three, is a flat damage four. Um, and then you know, so he basically on the charge, he gets five attacks. You can then do red rampage where you get d3 extra attacks. So, uh, in a campaign game uh, that we had last Thursday, I mm. uh, I did that. Um, I didn't use the Artisan of War though, one, however, because I felt that would be OTT, and um, and got eight attacks on the charge going in and uh, wiped out seven corn berserkers with it. <laughs> so it's it's pretty brutal. So so then you add on top of that having a three plus invulnerable save from a storm shield, twelve inch move, you know, with all these other things, and then if you add on the hard to kill where basically everything fails, that's that's. You're basically creating a character that almost can't be killed, um, and I feel from so a narrative point of view, it's just unfair. I think yeah, it's too so much. that's why you've not done that. Instead, you've gone for which this, is why I haven't done it. Yeah, yeah, which is why instead you've gone for this very cool captain who's leading from the front and you know yeah. getting his men to you know, charge where they need to be at the right times. And, yeah, you know, be inspired by his actions and all that kind of stuff. He's so. always they're always there at the front, fighting first. You know, first into the exactly. Fray. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So. Um, yeah, so that's basically yeah. where the character came from and, and what I've chose. How about yourself? So I'm playing with my uh, Death Skulls in the uh, Disorder Force, and they are led by uh, Warboss Zagdreg Ironhide. <laughs> he, he is a huge beast of a mega-armoured Warboss. He is the, the biggest sort of Death Skull around, and he's got all the best loot. <laughs> which is Very why he's nice. got all his big mega armor. Um, yeah. But Zagdreg is a very, very ambitious orc war boss, even by Death Skull standards. And he one day plans to lead his great Iron War. Nice. Because, um, as any true Death Skull should do, he loves looting things. And if he can get his hands on any kind of dead, shiny tank, he will do. So he doesn't dream 
of a war with thousands of boys and endless orcs to throw at his enemies. No, he he dreams of a war of killy orky machines. Stompers, dreadnoughts, tanks, buggies, trucks, anything mechanical and deadly. You know, and... I don't know what's worse, thinking of an orc that dreams or thinking of an orc with a with a, a huge iron war. I don't know which one's uh, more disturbing. Well, he wants a giant iron war. And he will get it. <laughs> and he will get it by any means necessary. So he has an obsession with finding the biggest killiest vehicle or tank that you know is on the battlefield and he will claim it for himself um because everything he loots immediately will get added to his war yeah it's very cool it's very fluffy i like it yeah so uh zadreg he's he's a straightforward standard orc warbotty megarama um and then being a death skull he gets his um he's like his lucky six up in bun and so on Mm. Um, he's got himself a, a combi scorcher because he does enjoy like you know roasting a few humies when he gets chance. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he's, and he's got a big power claw, but he doesn't actually have any relics or anything fancy like that. He's just got straightforward killy things. Yeah. Um, and what are so, his hero uh, hero abilities? Yeah, so his hero abilities. I've actually tied them to sort of like two aspects of his narrative. So, obviously, he's trying to chase enemy vehicles, and he's an orc in Megarama. So, he's not the fastest thing in the world, traditionally. But he, need, but he that's not going to stop him from getting his hands on these enemy like armoured vehicles. So, he has um, the custom booster armour that he's had specially made for him by his mechs. And I represent this in-game by two of his um, hero abilities. One, which is Swift Advance. So nice, automatically yeah. advances six inches when he advances. Um, yeah, and heroic, so that he has a six-inch um, heroic intervention range. So yeah, nicely. This, this represents him hitting the uh, the big red button in his custom booster armor that suddenly like turbo boosts him um, across the field, so he can catch those vehicles. He can nothing can get out. Of them, <laughs> he will get yeah, hold of them, that's nice. And yeah. he'll rip their weapons off. He'll rip their tracks off and. He'll take all the best bits for himself. Yeah, and that's then nice. I, I um, because of this, I I always give him the warlord trait, big killer boss, so that he gets plus one to wound against enemy vehicles and monsters. Oh, because that is his expertise. But yeah, that makes sense if that's you know he's going after the biggest baddest thing or just the biggest thing for his own army. That's very yeah. cool. Sadly, yeah, the, like uh, oh. the the first. Three games he's played in the campaign now is played against all forces that have no vehicles. <laughs> so he's very frustrated yeah. at the moment. He has Well, I mean, for my own, it's anything. it's hard to to get yeah. any real vehicles in a thousand points list, even a twelve hundred um, points list. I've been playing around with it, and it's just. And then yeah. his last hero point that I have for him, um, I wanted to like Death Skulls and now for being lucky kids, and I thought. The hierarchy with orcs is always whoever's the biggest and the best at something, that's why they're in charge. So yeah, yeah. If all Death Skulls are lucky, surely the best Death Skull would be the luckiest Death Skull. Yeah. So uh, I, I represent his, his little rule of the luckiest gate with the um, hero points for Foresight, which means that so long as he's alive and on the battlefield, I, I basically get a free reroll. 
Like you can, I can reroll one field, hit, wound, damage, or saving throw. Yeah, that's nice. I like because that because he's always in the right place at the right time. <laughs> and yeah. so far, he has proven himself perfectly on form with everything he's been doing. Like he has proven that he is the luckiest git. Um, he's waded through um, sniper fire from um, eliminators. He's uh, avoided um, like sanguinary guard and vanguard vets landing on his head. <laughs> like mm. they've been dealt just at the right time. And most yeah, amazingly, true, yeah. in the last battle I played, um, the Grey Knight Brother Captain um, that was coming headhunting for him with a, a damage four demon hammer managed to charge Zagdreg when he was on just four wounds. So it was only going to take that one failed save for him to die. Um, and after a somewhat fluffed uh, hit and wound roll, only one wound got through on him. But all he has was his six up in one. And by God, is Zagdreg the luckiest git. Mm. Because he rolled that six up in one. I didn't even need rerolls or anything. It just came up for him, and he immediately yeah. proceeded to rip that Grey Knight Brother Captain apart. Yeah, because brutal. no one is stopping Zagdreg's iron war. Yeah, that's brutal. Um, very much so. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, let's let's talk about a couple of the games we've had, and also you just mentioned that one there um, that was we were playing. I think it was almost like the Angels. Angels Descend mission again, I think. Um, uh, we were playing the end of the month. When we played our game. Oh, you mean the end of the month? Oh, were you? Yeah, no, no, no. The, so the one that we had, um, both uh, both me and Tony had a game uh, last Saturday, basically where it was, um, yeah, break the lines. Uh, one where uh, the Blood Angels had had found the kind of lair of the uh, the death schools as it were and they were working on a on a special truck or a special vehicle for the for the big boss um and uh yeah i decided to go and wreck their plans so um, mm-hmm. it was it was a very good fun yeah, match we, we played siege the lines but we played it where i was using the death schools as the defenders and then mm. you as the blood angels were attacking and you had to try and get into buying backfield to get to the mech shops stop us from bringing online this like company of armored tanks we'd stolen from these from the uh, imperial compound here um and in the end the orcs did really well at, like they did these attacks yeah. from these blood angels like you even used um because you get sustained assault in that scenario so you ended up having units come back and you, you ended up even recycling and effectively re-deep striking or outflanking your deaf company so yeah. I had to go through like 22 death company in this thousand point game where I'm not getting fresh reinforcements and you are. And <laughs> yeah. It was so yeah, was close because it came down to um, whether or not the game sort of went through turns five, six or seven. And yeah. ending on turn five as it did, there was essentially one guy that had got through the lines into the backfield and was able to uh, crash through the roof of the workshop and destroy the tanks before they were brought online. And that was, of course, Captain Atrion himself. Of course, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't going to be denied. Um, his, his men had sold their lives to get him there and buy him the time he needed. And yeah. Zag Dreg and his bodyguard of uh, mega knobs known as the Death Wreckers had gone to town crushing 
Sanguinary Guard, Vanguards, Death Company, like they reaped a heavy toll on the Blood Angels, but they just couldn't quite stop the captain himself from yeah, no, our, absolutely, our prized tanks. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. It, I mean, you know, and again, it's a, it's a classic narrative game where it literally came down to the final dice roll, you know, and those are the kind of games you want, and uh, and it was a very good game. And um, I had a lot of fun with it. Just trying to just use the orcs in on a somewhat unorthodox um, situation for them. Yeah, in a non non kind of orky way, almost. You know, it was, um, I mean, it was quite I, good. I had one unit of um, orcs that uh, were actually ard boys in a trench that were just holding it adamantly. Uh, you were trying to shift them with altar fire, and it wasn't happening. Like that's how tough these orcs were. Like once they'd taken up position, and I thought that was cool. That actually, for the first time in a long time, I had a unit of orc boys that was withering firepower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was great. It was a fantastic, uh, fantastic match. And um, I think obviously the match, match, both of the matches we had on Thursday were, were kind of very good as well. I, um, I did the uh, Descent of Angels one again, but it was just me this time against uh, a guy from uh, the Disorder side called Rick and his World Eaters. So it's Chaos Space Marines because obviously World Eaters don't have their own codex yet, um, but I really think they should. I've got a lot of. I've got I've got a lot of sympathy for for where Chaos Space Marines are at. They've obviously got a lot better with the new models and some of the new rules, but they're still not in a great place. And especially if you want to do like a pure World Eaters army, mm. it's so tough out there because all you've got is corn berserkers, but they haven't got the rules to make them truly lethal. Um, but that that was a that was a pretty brutal match because uh, again, you know, um, in the floor in the in the fluff and the law. Blood Angels and uh, and World Eaters were kind of known as the premium shock infantry troops during the Great Crusade, and they had this kind of semi-rivalry that started off relatively friendly and then just turned into outright hatred and bitterness um, by the end of the Horus Heresy. So, um, you know, it's this kind of it's quite a. Cool, I was really looking forward to this match where it was like the two arch evil and en- mm. ancient enemies facing off against each other both combat orientated this is going to get bloody and it got bloody um but mainly for uh mainly for rick i ended up having a lot of my forces left because um yeah he, he he charged up and got in really close but then uh he charged with his corn berserker squad and they ripped through uh a squad of intercessors they really as, died as they should as they should, you know, and then obviously fighting twice or all is just lethal. Um, but then I uh, heroically intervened with Atreon because that's what, you know, that's how he rolls, mate. He's a badass, what can I say? And um, yeah, then he, uh, yeah, then he uh, activated Red Rampage and got eight attacks and um, it was good night Vienna. So uh, it then basically was a systematic thing of where I just tactically moved a few different things into different areas, shot a few things off the board kill the rest of his scorn berserkers and then just charged him with like a scout squad um the chaplain and some intercessors in atron and basically killed his two mm-hmm. his warlord and his other ladies and then just slowly but surely just just took the rest of his army apart um so it's um it was it was a good match and i really enjoyed it but i do kind of i feel like it was a little bit one-sided after the first turn and also rick bless him he did have some really poor rolls he got some really, really <laughs> poor rolls which uh, again doesn't, doesn't help, help you know the dice gods are against you, yeah but it, it wasn't even that it was like you know who fires four melter guns you know wounds on twos and gets and gets three ones i mean you know it's like come on this is just so brutal and obviously because they don't have a equivalent of a, a lieutenant to re-roll yeah like you know corn was 
def- definitely not pleased with what happened there. But you know, so that was a, that was a rough game. But I really enjoyed it, and you know, Ricky is one of the best players in the, in the group, I think, in terms of just having fun with, and and absolutely love just playing with him. And um, he's got a really thematic, fluffy corn berserker army which is great but obviously from a tactical point of view and actually having a something that can have a lot of bite in the game it's it's not great um, so ultimately that was a victory for order so yeah ultimately it was a victory for order um, however it was almost immediately balanced out again by a victory by the death skulls for disorder it was um, yes i'd been playing against um is it matt or is it matthew yeah, Matt. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, Grey Knight and Astral Knights. Yeah, um, and this again was a very sort of like unusual little game for me and how I actually had to play it out because so on theme with Zagdreg's Iron War, I'm playing mechanized orcs. So what orc boys I do have, I take as units of ten in orc trucks. And then the rest of the force is buggies, tracks, whatever, or other vehicle-mounted units. So I've got like my mega knobs and the war boss in their gun wagon. Yeah. Now, obviously, playing against Grey Knights, there were a lot of storm bolters on the field. <laughs> so yes. my orc boys were not keen on getting out of their trucks. If they were, they were hopping out in order to charge something and then try and do some damage before they died. Because yeah, yeah, it would have been a lot of dead boys. Yeah, <laughs> so a and lot of firepower. It was worth noting as well. There was no power armor to Green Knights. No, it was all Terminators. So well, yeah, because they have Terminators are troops choices. Yeah, which is just insane. Fifteen of these Green Knight Terminators plus a librarian and brother captain in Terminator armor as well. Mm. So I had to. I basically had to play like um, a, a mounted force, uh, like doing drive-bys. Like my trucks were roaming up to units, and then the boys in the back were like throwing tank buster bombs out of them and stuff. Just insane! <laughs> so just like, insane. My orc boys weren't actually generally hopping out until there was some injured grey knights to try and jump on. Yeah, and it was. Yeah. It was a brilliant game. Uh, like in the end, basically, most of the old boys were dead. I think two of the trucks had been destroyed, but I'd positioned things well enough that the mega knobs had basically been hitting units and taking them out where they needed to, and mm. um, they were like they were my best asset in that particular game. Which is funny because like when I played you, the mega knobs were kind of one of my least useful assets because they weren't fast enough. Yeah, I think it's it's um I think it's just hard in general with grey knights just whatever you play oh, yeah. because they're, okay, they're always up an uphill struggle. Um but I think it's it's, it's even more for for well, for any army but especially kind of grey knights um if you don't have access to I mean they don't have access to thunder hammers, you know, and and storm shields and and heavier hitting stuff. They don't even have power fists, man. You know, that whereas said, like though, force. If I if I had rocked up with ninety orc boys that were just running across an open field at them, they'd have had a field day. Oh yeah, no, it, w- it would have been a different matter altogether. But which is why oh, I don't you know, like doing that. That that would have been insane for anybody to bring that. That's that that would have been yeah a little bit op I think. But no, I think thematically it's really great. But there are just obviously times when. You know, you're going to come up against an enemy where you absolutely trounce them because they don't have any anti-tank or 
you know, in the case of like mine, I think if the, if we had the same match, but we were doing it the opposite way around, or if I was in the position of the Grey Knights and Astral Knights, I think it pro- potentially could have gone the same way. But obviously, with the Red Thirst, that that saves a lot of um, that. So that's a that's an amazing ability. That really is. I mean, the fact yeah. that I took off what was it four wounds off your truck off that one time when you charged it into oh, my yeah. scouts. That is amazing. I absolutely <laughs> love that. Um. So like. When I played Matty's Green Knights, he did also have this um, like an auxiliary unit of ten intercessors that were representative of the Astartes forces that were dropping in in that mission to sort of like relieve the defending Imperial forces. Mm. But you say are those his Astral Knights? Are those like yeah? So the ones he has. Um, so the fluff behind him is essentially. Um, the Grey Knights, and then you have the Astral Knights. Um, the Astral Knights are wiped out in the in the law. Um, There's a book called The World Engine, which is really cool. Actually, and the whole story about that is where they uh, the Astral Knights, which are a, 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 a sign of dawn. Actually, they're a successor chapter. Um, basically, sacrifice themselves as a as a chapter to stop this Necron World Engine, which basically can destroy worlds. Um, from from essentially doing that. Um, so this is amazing kind of human space marine sacrifice basically to to do this um and then just to sacrifice pretty much all of them and there's like less than a, i think there's only 30 left basically but at the end of the book so it's not enough to basically re-resurrect the chapter um because you just simply don't have the gene stock and the and the men and materials um i think they say if you've got less than less than 50 50 guys left you basically can't do it this has happened actually this is a bit of a there's a bit of a conspiracy theory in the law actually about this because this has happened now three times to uh successors of of the imperial fist chapters <laughs> so um so you've got the crimson fists so there's a there's a conspiracy theory that the crimson fists having their monastery blow up was no accident that actually there's an inquisition um kind of maliciousness to this that actually triggered and um, malfunctioned the uh, warheads to revert back to source. Um, you then have the uh, deal with the astral knights, um, basically having an issue with the the fact that they don't have enough uh, to to deal with, and uh, they're basically told that they have to disband. Um, and then you have uh, <laughs> this is probably one of the weirdest chapters I've ever heard of, but it's um, called the Celestial Lions, and it's a chapter. Uh, um, that's that's basically probably based around the Lion King, I think, at this point with guns. <laughs> um and they uh they are a chapter that basically get wiped out on uh Armageddon in the third war of Armageddon. I think it's the book with Chapter of Grimaldus, uh or um Chaplain Grimaldus, sorry, who's the uh chief chaplain of the Black Templars. But essentially they get ambushed in this pass by a load of orcs, but it's like, oh, Either that orc has worked out how to quite accurately use a basilisk or we're being fired on by our own side, essentially. And this whole thing goes into a horrible, horrible massacre where it kills off something like 400 of their um, their chapter in, in one go. Um, <coughs> and there's lots of kind of pointers towards the fact that it's the Inquisition that made this happen and... There is a chapter are, are, are very weakened, and actually they only have uh, a few left, and they were essentially going to die as a chapter. But then, 
in a classic stoic kind of Black Templar way, Chapter Chaplain Grimaldus basically says, "No, we need you." So I'm ordering you to basically not do that. So they, you know, do a classic death ride as Astartes are known to do when they're honor bound to do whatever, and um, basically save some of the gene seed and then come back and they they're starting to rebuild, but they're essentially a shattered chapter. Um, so it's happened three times to them. So it's quite interesting in terms of from a law point of view whether or not something like that happens. But going back to the Astral Knights, basically the idea is that um Matt's Matt's taken the Astral Knights and created them into a Primaris uh chapter uh, and and kind of reborn them. Um and so the idea is that uh they're supporting the Grey Knights. But their their kind of chapter homeworld is one on the, the moons uh near Titan. Um so the idea is that they're kind of there to support the Grey Knights in uh, in kind of all of their activities. Um, mm. Yeah, but it also kind of adds adds some you know much needed kind of help in terms of firepower and some different access to some different there. stuff. Yeah, to to the Grey Knights, and that's the whole point, which is really cool. But yeah, Grey Knights are a problem. So yeah, so that's like a very brief roundup of the first month of yes. the Hades campaign that we've been playing in, and uh, we will definitely be having a segment on the show every time basically to uh give you a little update on the latest games we've played in that campaign mm. the things are like forces and our heroes have been up to how they've been developing and no doubt the couple of times that we'll have been clashing with each other again in the coming months yes absolutely yeah yeah hopefully we'll be um hopefully getting a bit into a bit more of a ruckus soon mm. so it'll be good to know good to see how that goes so then uh We'll take a short break and then we'll come back with our last segment of the show. Do you enjoy awesome narrative 40k games as much as we do? Do you wish there was more narrative player content online you could enjoy? Narrative Wargamer aims to be more than just a podcast. Our goal is to become a wider platform for narrative 40k content creation. Right now we are just starting out, but you can already find 40k articles and gaming posts on our website at narrativewargamer.wordpress.com. We also aim to develop the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel with narrative battle reports, custom missions, expanded gameplay rules and much more. If you would like to see awesome content like this, then please support the show via the Narrative Wargamer Patreon page. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and expand our range of future content. You can support the show from as little as $2 a month and it really is the best way to show us you are enjoying our work and are excited to see more. With your support, Narrative Wargamer can become the number one provider of narrative player content from the Grim Dark. And we're back, guys. Hello. So, this is uh, the last segment of the show. And this is the final is... countdown, Tony. Are you ready? <laughs> this is the final countdown. We're nearly done already. First episode. First ever episode of the podcast, and it's almost done. I know. Who can believe it? This is crazy. Ah, oh, it's been great. I've been enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you have as well. I've 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 been having a whale of a time. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. This mm. has been emotional. So, the last segment of the show is the paint station garrison. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we may play these games all the time, <clears> but <throat> there is also the whole hobbying side of this hobby. The and eternal war that is painting your models. Yeah. And in a bit of an effort to make ourselves more accountable to getting stuff done, getting things painted, working <laughs> on all kinds of projects, uh, mm. we're going to be using this segment to 
motivate ourselves to get on with painting things. So we're going to talk about just the, literally the sort of stuff that is on our paint station at this moment in time, because those units or models or whatever, they are the paint station garrison. Mm, and absolutely. If two, three, four shows down the line, they are still there, then they have they have outstayed their welcome and they should have been deployed to active duty by now. Yeah, well, I'll tell you mine first because they won't certainly be there within a couple of months, but I'll tell you that for free. My days. Um, I'm painting up uh, 10 Sanguinary Guard um, and I hated doing five before, which is the five <laughs> that you've played against. And I was like, why have I put myself through this again? But Sanguinary Guard are amazing and that's why you do it. But these ones um i'm actually magnetizing pretty much everything in the box so it's taken an, it's taken a lot longer in terms of just before i've even started painting to actually just magnetize all of the axes because the problem is this is a this is a real pain for that i have with gw and um with their kits and i'm sure other people have noticed this as well but you only get usually one or two uh of each of the war gear in each one so for example the harlequins mm -hmm. They know that the caress is like the the most badass of all of the the things. Arguable, I know, because of the embrace. But you only get two of those per like per pack, and you get five models. So if you want to kit the whole thing out, actually, as you know, kind of WYSIWYG, you're gonna have to buy more boxes. <laughs> so it's a really snidey way of going. All oh, right, we're gonna have to buy more boxes now. You know, normally it's not an issue because you're going to buy more anyway. But if you're only going to buy for like my Sangaroo Guard, I'm not going to buy more than 15 models, which is what I've already got. So, you know, I, I don't want to have to constantly keep um, buying more models to superglue them so that they all have WYSIWYG, basically. Um, so I've decided to magnetize them. So it's a great way, but then you you don't have enough power fists to basically do a whole squad, which is the cheapest uh, way to do it. So you do Angelus Bolt Guns. Uh, which is like three points, and then it's nine points for a power fist. By far the most powerful thing that they have, but then you get the Encarmine Swords, which are like, you know, minus three D3, so they're really good as well. But they're a lot more expensive. So, um, basically at the moment, my thing is to has been basically to cannibalize all of my old kits and anywhere that has a power fist and try and do it but the problem is is that there's only three of them which are for the right hand mm -hmm. and they only do the angels bolt guns on the left hand so it means that I've got loads of power fists but they're on the left hand which means I then have had to cannibalize more kits to try and find uh, inferno pistols or plasma pistols that do the right hand or the <laughs> right shoulder so that basically I can have a power fist on all of my guys so it's been an it's been a bit of a nightmare trying to get all that sword, but we're near it. Like all of them are painted gold. They've had a, they've had a first layers and, and washes. Um, so now it's painting the wings and the bits of red. And I'm not. I'm one of these people. I I I want them to look good, but there is a standard which I'm happy with, and I don't really care if they look any better than that. If that makes sense. It's it's yeah. quite a high standard <laughs> still. But it's one of but these in where your I'm like, mind, does it still feel a bit like a, a battle ready standard? Oh yeah, no, oh no, it's definitely battle ready. It's all you know, three colours, painted wash and highlights. But it's not, you know, I'm not going meticulous on, say, for example, painting eyes and having the face done really mm -hmm. well, or, you know, I'm not going to paint every single, um, you know, bit that should have parchment on it or is is got you know should have lettering and stuff because at, at the end of the day you can reach a point where you, you just go i'm spending like 12 to 15 hours per model here on 
you know, See, like, inter- like intercessors or something crazy, and it just goes. You just need to move on. Um, I like to find like little shortcuts and excuses where I can to not do one or two little things because I think it's sometimes overkill. But mm. there are other instances where a certain thing just is too prominent, even if it's a small feature, for me to just yeah. feel like I, I can ignore it. Like one of the key examples of this I found when I'm painting orc boys is painting the eyes because some of them I don't think you need to do it and some I feel like you can't get away with it not being done and it's a bit of a mixed bag (laughs) I I, I generally find any orc boy that's got like a helmet on you don't need to do the eyes because the eyes are that sort of sunken and it's sort of hidden under the rim of the helmet yeah it's not an issue yeah um or if they've got like a, a scar across one eye can generally don't need to bother doing it because they just either don't have that eye or it's just that heavily scarred that you can't really see or whatever. But then the bareheaded orcs, they quite often they've got they're almost like aiming with one eye, like they've got one sort of quite bulging <laughs> eye. Yeah. And I'm like I I know part of me says that do I really need to bother painting the eyes? No. But when I look at like that orc, I'm like, he's got such a clear like piece of his face that is an eyeball that I just can't bring myself to not at least just dot it red just you know, do just, something just, yeah just a little something with it so I try so I certainly don't do every eye is a pair of eyes on every orc but I do feel some of them I just I have to do it it just it bugged me if I didn't do you know what I mean yeah no absolutely and I totally get that and 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 for me I mean that's why I tend to stay away from having any of my space marines um unhelmeted because <laughs> it's like well one you're in the 41st millennium galaxy where you're firing bolt shells which basically explode inside somebody so why on earth would you not wear a helmet when you know the people with snipers around and all kinds of crazy stuff mm. you know you may be a nope. uh, super soldier big. but can sh- shot in the head doesn't matter you know that's the end of you ah but you see i am a death skull so i'm a lucky git you are, that's I, true. I, I don't need a helmet. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, not all of my scouts have made it this far, so they need to, uh, yeah, yeah, they need to uh, <laughs> make sure they're wearing all their helmets. Um, so, yeah, so, basically, that's that's what I'm doing at the moment in terms of uh, that. And then I've just bought some more bikes, actually. Um, so I am really, really, uh, no, just... Um, just normal bikes actually just a, uh, like attack bikes not attack bikes just just space marine bikes uh because with um uh, with blood angels you can give them all chainsaws so it's <laughs> a toughness five two wounds a pop uh two attacks each basically primaris but with 14 inches um so and then if you uh advance it's an auto six so you can you can get 20 inches up the board first turn if you want to um and they're really actually quite cheap so a squad of six is 138 points or something like that um so for their maneuverability and what they can do it's actually pretty good so i'm going to try them on uh thursday when i've got a narrative game so we're going to see how they go um but yeah kind of that's one of the things i want to add to the to the blood is a bit more mobility and uh, before i start kind of allying up to get more cp and stuff like that um so yeah i'll be moving on to them at some point and then i bought the um so the the three units that are garrisoning at the moment is the sanguinary guard the bikes 
and um, they brought it out for Warhammer Fest, but it's Lieutenant Amulus or Amulius. Do you know the pose of the guy with the? He's got the sword, power sword um, kind of out, and then he's got his helmet tucked underneath his arm. Yes, another one. Uh, yeah, so I've, I um, I got one of the guys at the club who's down at the fest to uh, to basically buy one for us. So um, really, really pleased with that because I love, I do love the lieutenants, but um, uh, yeah, they this one is kind of the one new one, one of the only ones that's kind of really grabbed my attention because I've got the. Um, I've got the one for the Blood Angels Lieutenant, but I didn't make him as a lieutenant. It's when I was doing my uh, Imperial Fists. So he's still red, but he's he just doesn't have any of the Blood Angels markings and stuff. And because he's, he's all painted up and done, I don't really want to go back and chip off stuff and shoulder pads and try and make it all work again. Mm. Um, so it's nice to have a couple of different lieutenants to play around with. Um, so yeah, that's basically on my table at the moment. So hopefully we'll be getting through it the only problem is is that with the sanguinary guard i have 10 uh angels wings to do which are all going to be white so uh i hate absolutely hate painting white so for anybody who's out there who does also hate painting white and wants a slightly easier cheaper way to do it um uh vallejo do a bone white or a dead white which actually is pretty good it is actually white because i actually find if you do the gw method it's basically light gray um mm whereas this is actually white and uh it's like three quid for uh, for something for one of those on on amazon or something like that so it's well worth a buy because it saves you a lot of time but you're still painting white so you still do have to layer up quite a bit so i'm on i think i'm only on two layers so far but it you know three three or four layers should should bring it out nice and white but it's just a pain so uh, i i hate doing white um and i did a, a lot of white for my harlequins <laughs> so i really don't want to do it so if i get any more harlequins they're definitely going to be black and orange because it's really easy to do that and makes it look much much better um yeah, so yeah that's what's on my paint table at the moment how about yourself uh so i'm actually uh in quite a nice position at the moment because i've more or less, this week just finished off the last of the orc boys in my thousand point list, and nice. the weird boy um, in the list as well. Very good, uh, good stuff. I'm literally just onto basing them. Um, the models nice. themselves are all done, so I want to get those finished because they've been sort of on my paint station for the last probably two weeks or so, um, yeah. and once they're done. Uh, I'm going to get started on the first of the vehicles in my um, the Orc Force. So right now I've got a uh, my first looted truck that's just been undercoated and he's just waiting for me to sort of properly put the paintbrush to it. So nice. yeah, the the Orc Boys and the Weird Boy are going to basically be done in the next day or so. So they probably won't be here. They're just leaving the garrison. Nice, um, but they've left the truck at the compound, so the truck that's the job yeah. before it's going out. They saw uh, something flashy and and you know did a jump over there, so yeah. they've left 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 the truck behind. Uh, and then on top of that, I, the one thing that has been sat on my paint station for way longer than I was expecting it to be is um, the second piece of Death World Forest terrain that I've been working on. Yeah. Uh, barricades yeah oh well, terrain man mm. i i love terrain like i'm a big terrain guy and i've been looking forward to building up this proper death world board that i've got um, mm, yeah. i've got loads of the gw death world terrain 
and I think they're brilliant. I do. But I don't think but... they work. Yeah, I don't think they work all that well without a little extra effort into them. Like, I, I've right. cut, you know, like proper area terrain bases for them. And when I mount them, I'm then adding, like, uh, synthetic plant life uh, to it. So it's sort of like aquarium terrain forest yeah. stuff. So it yeah. looks a bit um, alien-esque and um, but very verdant and grown. And um, I think when you go that extra little mile with these kits and you actually mount them on their own base and you add these extra plants to them they really come alive and they look amazing and then once mm. you've got a full board of these things it really looks like the heart of a, a really deep overgrown alien jungle so I love that effect but it means that I am putting more time into getting these terrain pieces tabletop ready yeah. to use rather than just plonking them down and going oh look there's some shardrack spines or there's some battered venom ropes, but they just kind of just <laughs> but talk, in grey yeah yeah you know um so i've i've been working on the two eldritch ruin pieces first and the first one's done and finished and looks great and i love it and the second one is almost done now so i'm hoping that by the next show that one will be done i'll have found some time just to get it finished off um, yeah, and it's going no, to annoy hopefully. me if it's still here but I I have a horrible feeling it might be but I really hope it won't be I'm going to try and put some effort into getting that off the paint station done <laughs> yeah no absolutely I bet that will be uh, it'll be very satisfying to have done absolutely and then I can move um, on to the next one and yeah. over the next year I'm sure I will end up with a selection of maybe like 10 or 12 of these actual forest area terrain pieces and they'll make yeah, a wonderful yeah, there's, there's always more. lush death world <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That would be fantastic. And um, it would be always quite nice when you're finished. Um, well, talking of finished, I think uh, I think we've uh, we've reached about the end there, I think. Would you agree, Tony? I think we have. And yeah. uh, I'd like to thank you again, Adam, for being here with me today. Absolutely. My pleasure, Tony. Absolutely. And uh, have, have you enjoyed it? I've, I've enjoyed every second of it, Tony. I'm not going to lie. It's been, it's been majestic. <laughs> I enjoyed it as well, and I'm really looking forward to really taking this show off the ground and game running with it, you know. So I'm hoping yeah. that there are certainly some listeners out there that have made it this far, and they've enjoyed the show, and they're going to be with us moving forward, and they'll tell their friends about it, and I'm just looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Yes, no, absolutely. So, thank you very much, guys, for um, for tuning in, and we really, uh, we really appreciate the support that you are already giving, and, uh, and the support that you will hopefully give us in the future. All right. Well, uh, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from me. All right. We'll catch you later, guys. Thanks very much. Bye.